Well, hello, everyone. It's certainly been a long time since I've been on this particular podcast feed. This is Dylan Hales here. We've got a trademark special, a, uh, a non-IP specific analysis of tonight's all-in event. I'm here with my dear close personal longtime friend, David Bixenspan. We're going to discuss the, I don't even know what to call this show. I did, I did very much enjoy it. I'll say that off the top, but it was a, a very, I want to. I'm going to use the term "weird" and hope people don't assume that means it's a crit, that it's a critical term in this sense. But what was it, to me a very weird show, the All In Show. As we're as we're sitting down to record this, it's been off the air for about 37 minutes, almost to the minute. I know that because they ran out of time, basically. And uh, so these are these are the hottest of hot takes. And uh, David, how are you today? I'm or this okay. Evening? It was definitely a weird show, and I'm glad to have you on this podcast feed, since we've been trying to get you on Between the Sheets, and you keep having to upload shit on Wednesday and not be able to do Between the Sheets, and so we'll settle for this yeah. for now. We'll do this for now. I do need to get back on the old the old BTS sooner rather than later. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't... We, we did not really talk about how we were going to run a format for this show. Literally, I, I tweeted out at some point that this felt like a show I wanted to talk about, and you you hit me up, and so we're doing this kind of off the cuff. Uh, but uh, before we, we sort of get into the individual matches, I, I do want to stress that we're going to try to stick to our time here, unlike the pay-per-view itself, and <laughs> wrap this thing in a reasonable time frame tonight. It is late in the evening, but I did want to sort of get like a real-world take, but just real quick before we run down, you know, get, look at the pre-show or look at any of the other matches on the card, Bix, what is your sort of – do you have a general impression of the show's quality? And, again, we can kind of talk about this a little bit in a wrap, but I want to talk about this up front because I think lots of times when you take a critical appraisal or, or look at a show, people take have this takeaway that, oh, you hated it. You're just being a jerk. So what, what's, your, what's your takeaway overall? at the top, and then we can review that again at the end of the show. I think it was a thumbs-up show that had just enough being the elite callbacks to satisfy those fans without doing it constantly, but I think it had it was possibly the worst-produced pay-per-view in recent memory that still somehow looked vaguely Major League. That's an interesting take, and of course we're going to get into that here in a minute. I will just say for my part that I... I very much enjoyed the show. It did feel long to me, but it didn't feel tedious. And sometimes shows this long start to feel really tedious. There was a moment in the semi-main event which we'll get to, which certainly I, I started to think it was drifting toward tedious. Uh, but it never quite got to that point for me. Uh, I thought it was a good show. Um, I did not think it was a blow-away great show by any stretch of the imagination. But I did think it was a blow-away great success from the perspective of these particular promoters, bookers, whatever you want term you want to use, giving this particular audience pretty much the show that they wanted. I mean, there's some things we can criticize here and there on the margins, but I think by and large, in terms of the audience that was there watching and the people that were most likely to be watching the show on pay-per-view, I, I think they delivered what those fans wanted. And real quick, as far as people watching on pay-per-view, at least one or two based on what I heard, maybe even three of the more popular illicit free streaming wrestling sites had so much demand that they were not working properly for everyone. 
and even fight at the beginning of the show was having issues. So my guess would be that the traditional pay-per-view orders are going to be much bigger than we expected. Well, I expected that coming in, actually. On the on the uh, Pro Wrestling Ponderings newscast this past week, I actually speculated that, we'll, that I, I suspected what was going to happen was we'd have a situation where a lot of people who were sort of lukewarm, maybe they didn't love the card, or they they don't consider themselves being the elite fan. I mean, I've never even watched a single episode of being the elite, to be frank. But I, I suspected there'd be a lot of people who at the last second, at the zero hour, funny enough, given the name of the pre-show, would make a decision... I don't want – this is like a cultural wrestling thing, and I don't want to be outside of the loop. Yes. And they would try to watch it one way or the other. And, um, you know, it, with, with those, you know, uh, uh, pirate sites down, for lack of a better term, um, and, you know, I, I think with the sort of multiple options that came out over the course of the week – uh, in terms of the the Ring of Honor uh, membership, uh, if you have the like their VIP membership or whatever, giving you the allowance plus Fight TV plus the pay per view providers, I suspect that there probably were a lot of last minute buys for the show. Yeah. Now, as far as that WGN pre show, before we get to the show itself, do you think it's weird that we didn't hear before the show that this was a time buy when it was clearly a time buy from watching the show? I mean, it certainly felt like, I mean, <laughs> the pre-show, the pre-show almost deserves its own podcast. <laughs> I mean, it was, I think the pre-show was somehow even more bizarre than the main show was. Okay, let's talk about that, because the opening was the Bucks and Cody saying they were 90 seconds before going live on WGN when they were already on WGN. Yes. Um, there were, it was, the whole thing was odd, though, right? Like, it was... The, first of all, the sound on the entire pre-show was off. The mix was really bad. and Well, the I, sound on the whole show was bad, but it was much I, worse on I, the pre-show. I, I thought... I think that they did something to correct it around match two on the main card. And I basically did didn't have better, a major, yes. I didn't have an issue with it at that point. I don't know if that's because it was so much better than what it started as, or if it was because it was relatively normal, it was hard to tell, but, it, but it certainly was a lot better. And, and that's to their credit. They did the appropriate adjustments. I don't want to be, beat them up too badly about that aspect. Um, but there was some stuff on this pre-show that like, first of all, it just felt – I mean, God bless, bless Pro Wrestling Tees for ponying up the money for this thing, which is, like you said, I, I think the assumption here because, uh, my God, I mean, I, I, it felt like every other second, regardless of if there was a contextual reason for it or not, there was a PWT's commercial. Or a graphic and, or something. Yeah, it, 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 and again, I'm not – Listen, if that's what it took to get them on the WGN show, our, our, our network, good. You know, I'm, by no means am I criticizing them for that. I think you got to do what you got to do when you're trying to sell your product. One criticism I did see, though, was that there was there was at least a few people who felt that the pre-show was was very much a preaching to the choir phenomenon. Yes, I agree. Where it wasn't like anybody who saw that would go, oh God, now I want to buy this show. 
you know, it was like, okay, come hang out with us and tailgate, basically, as opposed to here's a hard shell for the show. In fact, I don't know if this was a problem for everybody, but at the very end of the pre-show, the last two or three minutes, when they went to the hard sell, my audio was totally out on my cable because <laughs> I was watching that on, on, you know, my cable box and my audio was totally out. So I actually didn't even hear the hard sell for the pay-per-view itself. It was, there was no sound actually at that moment. So, um, very kind of a strange thing. And then the opening thing with, with the pyro and stuff, I mean, like I get and and road warrior animal and all this, like, I understand the idea of that sort of an expression of the sort of being the elite, like, you know, a hearty, har, 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 internet troll meme culture thing. But to me, it was like sub cringe. <laughs> like, like, I'm not going to lie. Like, this is going to sound like I'm, I'm attacking. But that was an example of a time where it felt like they were kind of pandering to the audience. Yes. Where it completely didn't connect to me. And it well, was like, if there would have been any other show, I probably would have turned it off, to be honest. <laughs> Here's what it felt like. That is the the one moment where the show felt like NWO sold out. Yes, yes, that's a good, that's a very good comparison, actually. Um, but 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 not, but worse because it's so obviously a parody of it. And I get, I don't get me wrong, I completely understand that. That's to a large degree the appeal of the Bucks and and, and Omega, and to maybe a little bit of a lesser degree Cody, is that sort of parody, you know. Um, Everything is sort of a, a wink and a nod, nod type deal. I get that that's the appeal. I understand that. But uh, that that opening segment for me, was, I mean, literally, if this had been any other show, um, you know, if this had been like a, an, an impact show or a, a, a Ring of Honor show or if it wasn't a show that was being branded as historic and I think was legitimately historic, by the way. Uh, I that might have been enough for me to be like, okay, I'm not watching. <laughs> well, and also, at least on Verizon, for me, you know, someone sent me a photo to show that it wasn't everywhere. The guide listing for the show didn't even say anything about it being pro wrestling. Yeah, I saw you tweet that. That was kind of odd. Um, I mean, it, it did. I think it had the term matches in in the it phrase. Did, which, but, but, but yeah, when but you consider what I, the I, other guide listings were. Sure. And, 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 and that is an odd choice. I mean, you, you wonder, I mean, obviously there was some thought put into, and I mean, this is a trademark special, Bic, so we may as well talk about this angle. Mm -hmm. But the, the, you wonder if this was not um, kind of a situation where they, the idea behind the show really was the 10,000 fans, right? And they got that almost immediately. Right. And clearly, they were probably there's probably always at least some plan to stream it somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. But you do wonder if all the sort of streaming stuff that came together was put was thrown kind of at the wall with in a much more haphazard way um, than you know Starcast or the live experience was for the fan. You see what I'm saying? Well, like, you, I think I know where you're going with this because I mean we'll get to this more as we get to the latter part of the show you get the feeling the show was put together without any concern for them having a four hour satellite window. Uh, I, I, I'll talk about it later. I'll talk about it. Yeah. Later. I let's have, get to that I as we get later. I have, some, I have some thoughts on that that I'm sure people will be angry at me for, but I, 
Uh, my super, super abridged thought is that I personally feel that's totally inexcusable. Uh, but, but that by no means means that the show was anything less than good. Um, I, I, I actually think it was quite good as we'll, as we'll see as we sort of march through the show. So, well, before uh, we get to the opener, one quick question. Sure. Do you think the opening was botched or you think they were faking it being botched for the benefit of the TV audience to make it come off authentic and amusing? It, because of who it is, I think it could be either way, and I honestly don't know. Like to me, that's like a that's like a coin flip. Um, you know, I, I don't have a strong opinion on that one way or the other. Okay, because the production I, was so bad all night, including really, the timing. That yeah, I'm right there with you. I really don't know which. I mean, I, I will say this. I, I don't want to forget this, uh, but because it was it, to me it was the most jarring production issue on that pre-show was the backstage interview with Alicia Toot and uh, Kenny Omega. A toot? Is that because uh, she's Canadian? I believe that's how it's pronounced, yes. A, 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 I thought it is a tout. I, maybe I'm wrong. I, think, I don't think I am. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't, I don't, but, but whatever the case may be, uh, whether I'm Jerichoing her, her name or not, the, um, <laughs> that, I mean, that was like... Well, That's the interview like, with Omega was on the main show, wasn't it? I don't think so. I believe I, I believe that was on the pre-show. Okay. Me, 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 I, I could be wrong, and I don't want to like that's not a hill I'm going to die on for people listening to this. But the the more important thing to me. Oh, was, it was the pre-show. You're right. It was after it, the opener. It looked like um, it looked like it was shot. Uh, in, <laughs> I mean, it's not quite this bad. This, I admit that I'm minorly exaggerating, but it literally looked like. It should, it might have been shot in an Autobad uh, uh, Pakistan compound where a certain man was living, and, and without internet <laughs> connection, like it 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 legit it legitimately looked like something that you would see in like a uh, Al Qaeda training video to me. Like you had like they were trapped in like this isolated corner. Everything the was color su- was very bad, super echoey. It was <laughs> well, they like, were playing the, the PA audio. They didn't mix the audio right either. Yeah. It was it was it was very jarring. And at that point, I'm not gonna lie, at that point I had a thought where I was like, oh shit, this could be really bad. You know what I mean? Like I had there was a moment at that point where I was thinking, everybody's expecting me to shit on this show, which I don't even know why, because I've actually been very complimentary of this show building up to it. If you paid any attention to my tweets or the Pro Wrestling Pondries newscast, which I do virtually every week. But I was like, people are expecting me to bury this. I like and I, I, I hope that this is not the production standard because there's no way that I can't shit on this. You know, like it's it, I, and I'm somebody who will watch almost anything. I mean, pe- that I'm, that's basically what I'm known for. <laughs> and well, there's was, a difference between low budget production and disruptively bad production. Well, there's also a difference between being a a major show with huge budget and support of other major shows and being, you know, like an, an Indian rural Alabama that has a guy who's got a, you know, a 10 year old camcorder. That you, you know what I mean? Right. Like it's, it's not, it, 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 you can't judge those things by the same metric. Right. But, um, I, having said that, I personally thought that was the nadir of the production. Well, like I, no, for me, it was that the cameras were shaking all night long. Yeah, I mean, including I, the hard I, cam. I I noticed that some, 
but it didn't it didn't really bother me. I but don't it know wasn't it was Kevin Dunn shaky cam even. It was Pete, it was like literally just unsteady. No, and I and I know what you're saying, and I did notice it at times. There were definitely times during the show where that mm-hmm. was I think relatively clear, but it didn't really hurt my enjoyment of the show either, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, I, I it and 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 one positive that I will personally say for production, and again, we'll probably talk about this some as the show goes on. But I just thought the commentary, by and large, on the show was quite good. Oh, the main commentary team uh, of Ian Riccoboni, Excalibur, and Don Callis was excellent. Yeah, and they had was, tremendous commentary. I mean, chem, excuse me, chemistry for the first time they've ever worked together. Go on, especially for a three-man booth. You know, yes. I I I thought it was quite good, well above the standard of virtually any three-man booth I can think of in wrestling recent times. Um, and uh, I was very, I think it actively enhanced several of the matches. And um, if you're in this day and age, if you can just make the matches not worse <laughs> on commentary, you're, you're doing pretty good. So uh, kudos to them. I, I really thought it, it, it really added to the show. So from a production standpoint, you know, we're, we're ripping certain things and I don't think unjustly, but I do want to give those guys credit. I think the absolute right people were put in the position to call this show and the team that made that decision. I don't know if it was. Cody, the Bucks, and whoever all together, but whoever made the decision, they they put together an excellent commentary team. Yes, uh, and they all they all had separate roles. I mean, they, were, they would occasionally trip on each other a little because it's three guys who've never worked with each other before. But all things considered, barely. And you know, Ian's the play by play and was doing it pretty straight. And whenever he could, he'd add a little bit of logic. Like, and yeah, as we'll explain, you know, we'll in more detail later explaining why tables were there saying that it was the tables they had out earlier for the catering and all that. And Excalibur was basically a straight color analyst who did a phenomenal job. Like, I don't know if he'd go for it, but it would not shock me to see him get contract offers off this show to be an announcer. No, it's not. It's not at all impossible. I agree with that. So and Cal <sighs> and Cal was the was the light heel. Yes, yes, he was the um, Jesse Ventura at like four. Yes. You know, like when he's not, which, which is my favorite kind of heel comedy. He was Jesse Ventura calling a British Bulldogs match. That, yes, that's actually a perfect comparison. Uh, so let's get into the show. We've already taken more time in the preface than I, I ideally would have liked. We have plenty of time. We're fine. So, so, so the show opened up with the first match on the card we had was on the pre-show was the Briscoes versus SoCal Uncensored. What did you think of this one? I thought this was really good. I thought the first, like, I don't know, like half to two thirds of the match, I was kind of like, this is good, but it's not the banger. I thought they needed to kind of really get this going and hook the people who hadn't bought the pay-per-view. But the last like third or so of the match was absolutely tremendous. They this really picked up, and overall, it was, like like I said, it was good at the start, but it picked up a lot with the you know as they kind of started working towards the finish. They did a nice kind of like weird twister tribute to Animal being there by doing the counter off the Doomsday device, and I actually thought though I thought more than anything else I thought this just this was a showcase I think for Scorpio Sky and his resurgence more than anything else. 
Yeah, Scorpio Sky has sort of quietly had a really good last couple of years. Um, I'm somebody who watches all the bar wrestling shows. I, I tried to watch most all the Wrestle Circus shows. And, you know, I, I see him when he pops up uh, on Ring of Honor in, in a, it, if I'm actually watching Ring of Honor, which is not religiously, but it's not totally unheard of either. And uh, he he's just a really good wrestler, you know, like he's just a really, really good wrestler. And um, I, I think he it was cool to see him get this spot too. You know, he was one of the guys I was, I was kind of most happy for as a guy who's been around for a long time and kind of faded into obscurity. And then he's come back and, and you know, to get this chance, I thought it was really neat. Um, I thought it was a, a, a good opener. I mean, it, one of the things that you really noticed here right away was how much room there was between the ring and the first row. I mean, it was, a, I, I, I don't know how much more it was than a WWE show, but it was a, quite a bit more. And, um, you know, you wonder if that wasn't to facilitate um, uh, dives and stuff and keep guys from getting hurt hitting that rail because we've seen so many of those type of injuries in the last couple of years. Uh, but uh, I, I, I thought this was a very solid opener. Um, I thought it was, you know, it, it was helped by the fact that the crowd was was perfectly fine and was all in on uh, no pun intended on booing the briscoes um so you sort of had that that sort of natural face heel dynamic uh finish was great it was a great finish for 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 an opener especially that sort of big moment finish um yeah i i, I really liked it for what it was it wasn't a blow away match but i also thought that it was a good sort of barometer match in the sense of one of the things I said about this show coming in was uh, my impression of this show, and I think this is increasingly true of a lot of shows, but I think this show maybe more so than any show uh, in, in recent memory, this show is more about your starting point than your review. What I mean by that is this was a show where the people that were really excited about this show, it would have had to be a disaster for them. I mean, like an all-time level, heroes of wrestling level debacle for them to even think it was like below average, in my opinion. Um, and I, like by the same token, the people that were all just ready to bury this show because they don't like being the elite or they don't like whatever, this show would have had to be like an all time classic for them to even think it was good. And the thing about this particular match is it is a very good barometer match. If you're somebody who like is into reading other people's reviews and sort of comparing where they are and stuff, because this is the kind of match where if, if somebody gave this match, um, two stars, you probably know that they're going to bury the rest of the show, right? They're probably going to be, they, they probably had a frame of mind coming in that it wasn't something they were going to like, and they're probably going to be pretty harsh on a lot of stuff. By the same token, if somebody gave this thing four stars, you probably know they're totally in the tank for being the elite, and this is going to be called show of the year no matter what happens on the rest of the show. So these, these kind of openers like that are always good for me as somebody who does sort of read and tries to mentally aggregate reviews. Um, because I can look at that and sort of get like a general feel for, you know, where people are uh, and, and, and what to expect uh, on their thinking on stuff like this going forward. Yeah. Yeah. But and the fit, but if and we didn't actually say what the finish was in case someone listening somehow didn't watch this, but it was uh, it was a, it was with Scorpio Kazarian. It was uh, it was Kazarian countering an attempted doomsday device with the Rick Steiner power slam counter to get the win. Yes, yes. Yeah. Which is Russell War Russell War ninety one baby. 
Warriors in the Desert Sun. <laughs> so yes, next was the Alicia Tao thing where they, also they did a bit where he says at the start of the interview, like, wait, why are you standing like that? And she says to Omega, oh, I'm trying to make you look taller. And they tilt the camera down to show her doing the WWE wide stance, which of the self-referential things on the card, I thought that was one of the better ones. I, I did too. However, um, and I, and, and listen, I don't, I don't really have an issue with this. Like this is not something that sticks in my craw that I'm just like, oh, they're mocking the WWE. But and especially because that's part of what they do and that's part of where they are uh, and why they are where they are. But it is also the sort of thing where if you were a new fan, I could see you being like, uh, this is stupid. Do you see what I'm saying? Like if you yeah. if you like I could easily see a newer fan being totally turned off by some of the like more blatant like uh, WWE troll stuff. Uh, it doesn't really bother me because I'm, I expect it from these guys and that's very much what they do. But um, yeah. But also the, what I, what I like about that one is that it's, it could happen kind of like naturally in a way like, Oh, she's just trying to do her job and make him look taller and it's their way of saying, oh, no, Kenny Omega's cool. Kenny Omega doesn't want any of that bullshit. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's totally fair. So then we got the over the well, – did they end up settling on whether it was the over-budget battle royal or the over-the-budget battle royal? I don't – I do not remember uh, if they had an emphasis on the the or not. Because they've said both, like, the last few weeks, um, which – Apparently is a shoot because Cody swears that um, he sold the canvas, which we know he sold to Conrad for the Starcast fight package tie-in, plus the turnbuckle covers and the ring skirts to collectors to help pay for the match. Because also we need to remember Cody was swearing that basically he was paying several times people's usual rates. Um, I don't know if you've asked around about that or not because I have not. I believe that to be true, at least in certain cases. I've not been told anything specific, but I, I, I no one's believe... been unhappy about money. No, I believe that to be true. Yes. Okay. So your cast of characters was Colt Cabana, Shane Helms in the Hurricane outfit, Jordan Grace, Billy Gunn, Moose, Chuck Taylor, Tremperetta, Ethan Page, Brian Cage, Jimmy Jacobs, Rocky Romero, the spawn of Billy Gunn. Austin Gunn, who I had never seen before, Punishment Martinez, Tommy Dreamer, Cheeseburger. They ended up calling him Chico Jr., so I guess L.E.O. Del Chico El Luchador. Although they, I don't think they said that till the finish either. I think they just called. I don't think they said his name till the finish. And Brandon Cutler. Um, I'm just. Did you say, say Marco Stunt? Uh, you might not. Actually, the rundown because I was pulling it from post wrestling. I don't think Marco was in in that listing for some reason. Yes, well, Marco go. Stunt's in there too, obviously. Is there anyone else I'm for, we're forgetting? I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. I will say I thought at the time I thought there was a real missed opportunity of not doing an entrance with Billy Gunn on the stage crotch chopping over like a, a like a shadowy piece of paper and then his son leapt through his, where his genitals was uh, <laughs> like a – like. Uh, 
I, I really felt like that was a missed opportunity, but but given where the penis memes would go later in the show, maybe not. Well, also, uh, there's the joke a bunch of people have stolen from each other tonight about how can he even conceive if he's an ass man? <laughs> Jesus, Lord. Yeah, um, um, well, OK, let me get this out of the way, though. I think that Rocky Romero was in the match as himself telegraphed that even if you didn't think it was going to be Flip Gordon, it telegraphed that the winner was going to be Chico and then whoever it was would unmask. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly was not paying enough attention at the beginning of this match, uh, because I was getting my, my, my food on, uh, man, that, that makes me sound very old and white, but, uh, (laughs) of which I am both. Uh, but, uh, I, I, you know, I have to say that I think this was an extremely, well laid out rumble. Yes. Especially if you take the position that Bully Ray was a perfect heel and Colt Cabana was an ideal babyface for the for this particular audience. Now, this is the first example on the night where my own personal preferences um did did not match up with uh that reality <laughs> but but if, in an honest assessment i think you have to say that those were probably the right choices all things considered and um i could have lived without bully ray appearing the sec- a second time on the show uh but and i didn't really care that he was in this match, but I thought the function that he yes. served in this match was good. And I think, um, sort of all, like a lot of the big spots and moments that revolved around, like when they got to a point where that stuff was relevant, I thought they all delivered the way they needed to, whether it was the, the, the big Jordan moment or the big Marco moment or whatever. I thought they all basically delivered in the way that you'd want to. And then you got the satisfying finish, with, you know, Bully Ray seemingly eliminating the hometown hero, Colt Cabana, for the win, and then, you know, L, whatever the hell they were calling him, uh, you know, uh, the the mass luchador that Bully Ray had laid out at the beginning of the show, uh, sneaking up behind him, revealing himself to be Flip Gordon, who, of course, somewhat infamously has been kept off the show by Cody Rhodes, uh, and then, of course, Flip eliminates Bully to uh, not only get a spot on the show, but to get a spot in the Ring of Honor world title match on the show, which hilariously would go on after Cody's match. <laughs> well, we'll get to that more in a bit. Um, I thought, yeah, I thought this was absolutely tremendously laid out. If as Yeah, as long as you set aside the Rocky Romero thing, which I I don't get why they did that. I, get, I mean, I get wanting to throw Rocky the bone and have him be on the show as himself, but... When you consider how much of the stuff was for that being the elite audience, and that Chico El Luchador is a thing that's a big tie-in with all that and him being on being the elite, and that everyone knows it's Rocky. I mean, at shows that Rocky Romero works in the United States, he sells Chico merchandise. I, I, I just think that's telegraphing it too badly. That said, this was a tremendously laid-out battle royal. They clearly understood that this was going to be the match that the most people saw and everyone basically needed to get showcase spots. Um, I think basically everyone other than Brandon Cutler did, right? 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I, I it, to me, it would be very difficult to criticize this match on functional ground. Like no. it, and I, I could certainly make criticisms of this match based on my own personal feeling about how much I do or don't enjoy certain people in it. But even even allowing for the fact that there were some people in it that I'm not a huge fan of, the match was still good. Yeah, and um, you know. It it was it was just really well put together, and uh, I I thought in terms of you know how how matches were laid out, I thought it was one of the strongest on the show actually. Yes. I mean, I would say in terms of a modern because you know we haven't seen the old LA or San Francisco battle royals. In terms of like a modern non Rumble battle royal, I would say it was exceptional. Yeah, it was very good. I I, I would agree. I I can't. I mean, there are certainly, I mean, there was the the sort of, there was that great SmackDown Battle Royal, and I think it was 2005 or 2006 where they did the, the the bit with Matt Mark Henry on the table that was like really really good. And there's probably a few others that if I really wanted to think about that I could come up with that were that were similarly well laid out and well executed. But uh, this was this was a very good Battle Royal for sure. And it, in fact, I would say that it was good enough where it didn't feel like it was just an extra match on the show, which right. which was something that I think was a legitimate concern coming in, especially because they basically branded it as a, <laughs> extra an extra match, match yeah. sort of as a, in, you know, in, in the typical sort of being the elite hardy har har way. And I I think it, it over-delivered. Yeah. So where were MJF and Matt Cross? They opened the pay-per-view. In the only unadvertised match of the show. Um, We're going to have a lot to say about this because MJF did not get to talk at all. I I thought this was... um, Okay, so the match was solid. Okay, it was fine. It was not... By no means was it bad. I think it was... I think you could... I mean, there were better matches on the show. I think it might have been the most bulletproof match on the show. Um, Pun not intended. I thought I thought it was. How do I put this? I thought it was a a pretty good match that was sort of put in a really bad position. I and think I not think, advertising it hurt because oh, I, I not advertising it. I think was a huge error. Um, to me, let me, let me just say this flat out. To me, the only reason to not advertise that match is if you're going to put a mic in, in MJF's hand. And have him come out and do his usual deal, which is why he's on the show in the first place. Let's be honest. Not that he can't wrestle, but the the the, the talking is what got him to the dance. Let him do what got him there, for God's sake. And the it it's weird to me that you would do an unadvertised match in the opener of the show, nonetheless, of the main card. That is following the crazy battle royal where Flip won, which was a big story point on being the elite for, for to the point where even I know about it, and I'm not even a being the elite viewer. And you would not take advantage of the biggest tool that's in the the, the key guy's toolkit because this isn't a knock on Matt Cross, right? Like I'm not saying anything bad about the guy, but really the key guy in that match, in terms of adding a unique quality to the show really is MJF in the sense that he's a different, he's different than what you might see um, from almost anybody else on the show. If 
you let him do what makes him different. And they didn't. And I just don't, I, I, I mean, there's, there, the way I look at it, there, there were at the time, I thought there were two possible reasons why this might be the case. Number one, I thought maybe they're going to do a heel uh, talking spot later on the show, and they don't want to do more than one. In which case, I still think it's a mistake not to let MJF do it, um, especially on the opener, especially. But uh, I, I could at least understand the rationale. Well, that never happened. The only other talking spot of note that occurred in the ring on the show was Earl Hebner doing whatever the hell it was that he did. And that, that was it. Um, so the only other alternative that I could come up with was that they don't really pay attention to, or or, or the people putting together the show didn't really pay attention or weren't cognizant of what makes MJF MJF. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah, I just I, well I, I I don't know what other explanation there could be. I'm trying to I'm trying to say this in a way where it's not an insult because I really don't mean it that way. Because Cody is an incredibly nice guy, but it's not a secret that he can be unaware of wrestling stuff he's not directly involved with. You know, I, I mean that that listen that may that's the only thing that makes sense to me, right? Like I just don't know what else it could be. I mean, I guess. There may, I, I guess if we want to get d- deep into the speculation game, I guess it is theoretically possible that they may have thought, well, you know, we can't like that's kind of a WWE thing, blah, blah, blah. But there, this whole show was like a WWE show. <laughs> that's 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 one of the things I'm going to get into as we get into this more. Oh, they is, they laid out this card like a WrestleMania. A hundred percent they did. I mean, absolutely. In terms of Cody and uh, I almost said Magnus, all this being on early in like your first main event spot of a WrestleMania and then doing WrestleMania type spots in the top matches and doing you, you have WrestleMania your celebrity type camera work and direction, your celebrity, you your match, celebrity yes. match, you have your referential stuff to previous things. You have your, your the the like the like it was very. It felt very, very much like a WrestleMania, but filtered through the prism of the sort of YouTube and meme culture that is what these guys are about. Yeah. So, you know, and, 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 you know, so to that end, it was different, but it, but it was very much a WrestleMania type show. So I, I can't buy the, the entirely speculative, you know, trying to come up with theoretical construct argument that uh, this was this had anything to do with not trying to be like the WWE. Well, it just here's feels the like other it was thing. a bad decision. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not saying this is the case. I'm just saying this purely as hypothetical that I think needs to be thrown out there. It, just in terms of if you need to go over all the possibilities. There's the possibility that he was a guy they felt they needed to book and then someone felt like he shows them up to the such he shows everyone up to such a degree on the mic that they shouldn't have him talk. I mean, it's wrestling, so you can't rule out. Right. Like I don't that, think that's it. I don't either. I mean, it, who knows? Like, I, you know, it's it, it, it is what it is. And in any case, to me, it, it, I felt bad for this match yes. because it wasn't that it wasn't like it had no response, right? But. To me, it felt like the flattest match on the show up until Okada versus Girl, which eventually was not flat by the by the end right, stretch. Right, right. And 
it and I don't think it's the fault of the wrestlers. Um, it just, you know, it, it with the benefit of hindsight, at minimum, it should have been announced in advance. Well, and, also, and I don't see this say this as anything against Matt Cross because he, I mean, maybe Daniels because he's older isn't really. He might be the most ageless guy in wrestling right now. Sure, because he he did his Sasuke special, he did all his stuff, but. I think if you were going to do an MJF singles, I think regardless of whether you're going to advertise it or not, I think this was the wrong... I think Cross was not the right guy for it, too. I think it should have been... Especially if you're not going to let him talk, it should have been someone who he could have had a more obvious story with. Whether it was a Marco or a Cabana, someone. Sure, sure. I think that I think that's fair. Somebody who who he either could bully or do some sort of in ring banter with. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a fair point, and well, that's not a knock on that cross. Let's but. look at the battle royal briefly, just to see. Okay, Colt Cabana, Shane Helms. You could. It doesn't seem like the right thing. Jordan Grace. What Jordan Grace would have been great for that spot. Yes. Um, Billy Gunn. No. Moose. No. Chuck Taylor. Yeah, Beretta. Yeah, um, Ethan Page. No, because he's another heel. Brian Cage. No, Jimmy Jacobs. Not the way he's been working since he's usually a heel. Romero. Not quite. Austin Gunn. No. I mean, even Dreamer. Yeah, I mean, listen, <laughs> Cheeseburger. I mean, it's it, 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 and this is not an knock on Matt Cross. I'm not actually, at all. I actually like Matt Cross a good bit, but. And and I'm also happy that he got a singles match on the show, yes. honestly, for for like the legacy he has in independent wrestling. But I do at least, and it's tough because again, it's not like the match was bad. Like it sounds like it sounds like we're ripping the they match. Had an incredibly solid, well worked match and a good match. But it's like I I don't get why they didn't at least advertise it. It just made yeah, it. I agree. When you when we when you saw that graphic, you probably had the exact same reaction as me, which was like, "Okay, that that's that's odd." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think it may have been the Voices of Wrestling preview that I listened to earlier this week, where I want to say that they had prognosticated this match as a possibility. I think I, I, somewhere this week I heard somebody suggest that they might do MJF versus Matt Cross as a singles because they were not announced for the Battle Royal, but they were announced for the show. Right. So I had sort of mentally prepared myself for the idea of it, and I was still like a little bit, you know, like, oh, oh. Right. Well, and all, I mean, another thing, though, too, and thankfully this did get mentioned on commentary. I forget if it was Ian or Excalibur who said it. MJF and Madison Rain were the only people who won a spot on this show. Er, earned a spot, yeah. Yeah. And so again, to have not have it, that's something he should be cutting a promo on. That he did not do a walk and talk entrance, at least. I don't get Yeah, it. I was fully expecting that. I was expecting him to just walk down to the ring with a mic in hand, you know? Yeah. When he didn't yeah. have the mic walking out, like, I didn't think he would, like, I, like, I was like, wait, is he going to come the pro like, if he's not doing the promo during his entrance, is he? I don't think he's going to talk at all. Wait, what? Like, and I mean, look, I don't get why you do this if he's not coming out, cutting a promo about how people talked about how low the ticket prices were for this kind of show, and it's because you're all poor. Sure, sure, you could you could have easily done it, but 
anyway, I don't want to dwell on this match any longer, not because it wasn't good, but because people are going to listen to this and be like, why the hell are they talking about whether or not right, India right, right, talked right. for three hours? So Right, and people are going to be really confused, especially considering what he did to your dad. <laughs> uh, he's a jerk. Yes. Um, um, Sean Mooney, I got to say, it was nice to have him and Alicia Tout there. It was a little weird that they each only had one segment, although then again with the time, I don't know if they had more prepared or recorded or what. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was nice to have them. I think it added to the idea of the of the show being a big deal. You know, that's basically my entire review of that. Yes. And and it was cool to see Sean Mooney. Yes. And Nick Aldis's promo was fine. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, he's a he's a solid promo, but he's we'll we'll talk more about more bleh, more about Nick Aldis later. He certainly uh, exists. <laughs> Stephen Amell and Christopher Daniels with Jerry Lynn as special guest referee, the new ref and show. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk about how it was really good to see Daniels get a singles on the show with how important he is to indie wrestling and ROH and everything. Um, I was really get, glad to see Jerry Lynn on the show for that reason, too. Um, I do, I do agree with that. I did think it was a bit odd I mean, they needed to have a they needed to, to do it with no build up was a little weird. But Jerry Lynn has been refereeing a little bit. I some they right did announce that he was going to be a ref a long time. I could be. Oh wrong. no, they announced he was going to be a ref, but they didn't announce for what match. I don't think. Sure, sure. So, so here's the thing about this match, right? Um, first of all, uh, Stephen Amell's clearly been going to the Shane McMahon uh, Fantasy Camp Wrestler School. Where, oh, come on. He's a much better wrestler mechanically than Shane McMahon. Then I'm not entirely sure that's true. Uh, his, his strikes <laughs> are a little bit better. Um, he, on the other hand, like there was at least three times in the match where he was doing an offensive move and his body was about to give out on him to the point where I thought he was just going to collapse in a heat. Um, now, uh, I also I also audibly cackled at the idea of Christopher Daniels working out of a waist lock against an actor. I thought that was absolutely hysterical, like, and, and amazing. Um, this, I, I don't know even how to talk about this match really. So I'm going to try and keep it relatively simple. It was fine. I'm glad Daniels won. Cause I don't, even though I think everybody thought Amel was going to win. I, I thought that Daniels really should have won. I was glad he did win. Um, they, they worked pretty hard. Amel's cardio was pretty bad, visibly so. And that's okay because I'd be blown up too, if I was trying to get into a ring. Um, and you know, it, it was, it was fine for where it was on the show but it was a little bit weird to me that they did the stuff with Daniels and Jerry Lynn, and it seemed like they did it for the purpose of sort of giving Amel a couple of credible near falls, which I didn't have a problem with, except for the fact that then when it was over, it was it, everything felt really weird. <laughs> it's like, okay, Jerry Lynn's standing here without a referee shirt on, and they look kind of confused about what the hell is going on, and... It you know it, it it just had a very odd visual look after you know the two sort of you know dramatic teases that Daniels was going to lose so uh, but it was it was fine for what it was you know I 
I, I will say this, and I'm gonna, and I, this literally could be a, it could be added to everything I say about every match on the show, other than the main event. Too long. They could, they could have cut time. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, this one didn't feel long in the grand scheme of the show. Twelve minutes was too long. Should have gone like eight, maybe. Yeah, I, I would, I would say eight. Although, I definitely didn't expect Stephen Amell to take the craziest non-Joey Janela bump on the show. I I wasn't shocked. Um, I but, was well. I re- that table exploded. Yeah, I I really wasn't shocked just because I expected to see like I expected a lot of wackiness on this show, and if anything, I got more than I expected. But I expected a lot of wackiness on this show, and in a match like this, you almost have to have stuff like that to sort of obscure the obvious issues that you're going to have when you have a at best half trained guy in there with, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you have to take the shortcuts that are available. So, um, I, I wasn't stunned by it, although it visually looked great. Yeah. And they shook hands. And I guess that's that for now. Um, women's match, Britt Baker, Chelsea green, Madison rain, Tessa Blanchard, one fall four way. Um, Don Callis left to go talk to Kenny Omega so we had guest commentators, Tennille Dashwood, and oh, why am I forgetting her name all of a sudden? Uh, from ROH. Uh, Mandy Leon, uh, De Leon. Thank you. Um, they were not good on commentary. Although Tennille was a li- Tennille was a little bit better. Mandy Mandy Leon barely said anything. Well, that that may have been for the better. I don't know. Yeah. Um. But <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I didn't get why they were there. I mean. Especially if if Tennille Dashwood is also healthy to wrestle right now, it seemed weird to have her there and not in the match. Yeah, I don't know. I thought that was a little odd myself, but I don't. I, I who knows? I mean, it's hard to say. Like they should have acknowledged it. I think. But, yeah. Sure. Yes. Like it, it was. It it was the one thing on the show that felt like egregious Ring of Honor product placement. I mean. You know, oh, the, the way that she Ian kind of ha- seemed like had to be feeding her stuff about her upcoming title shot and all that. That and even the way they were introduced, like it's the women of honor, women. You know, it's like, it, and of course, that's I'm not criticizing for them for that. You should be plugging this stuff, but it was the one thing on the show that felt shoehorned in that way, if that makes sense. Yes. Other than, of course, the pro wrestling tease infomercial that was the pre-show, but it 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 felt. It felt shoehorned in, um, but it, it didn't really hurt the match. I mean, they weren't good, but it also didn't. It wasn't so bad no. that it hurt the match either. Now, as for uh, the match itself, um, well, also we should mention too that Tully Blanchard and Magnum TA, uh, Tessa Blanchard's father and stepfather, came out with her, which was a really nice moment. Yeah, that was really cool. I liked that a lot. Um, they laid out a hell of a match. Um, unfortunately for them, Chelsea Green was in the match. Um, I thought she dragged this down tremendously. I mean, I'm, I have, I'm not anywhere near as down on her as you are. Um, I, I didn't notice what you thought were some more reckless moments in the match. I'm not saying they didn't exist. They just didn't jump off the page to me. Okay. Well, Um, I mean, the big one for me was the, she hit the unprettier on... I have to look back. I think I actually messaged you about it. Might have been Britt Baker. Because I think she hit... 
hit it twice. She basically came way too close to, like, breaking her neck the way that Rick Steiner accidentally injured Bagwell. Like, she did the, she sets up the Unprettier and somehow got the, her head above, I think it was Britt's head above her shoulder and basically shoot jawbreakered her, like, but to the forehead. Yeah. By no means am I saying that didn't happen. I just didn't notice it. Sure. Um, and the like, she hit one of the more head droppy Canadian destroyers I've ever seen. Uh, I've seen so many bad Canadian destroyers; it doesn't affect me anymore. That's it. Though. I mean, they <laughs> like, had a really good match, but I feel like, and Madison Rain, I think, was the best I've ever seen her look in terms of perf- in ring. Because I feel like I need to stress that because people might say we said things we didn't. Um, but. I think Listen. this would have been better either as a Britt Baker, Tessa Blanchard singles, or with someone else in Chelsea Green's spot. I, I would have actually liked if they had had two just women's singles on the show. I don't know how they could have done it, and I, it's not like I think they're bad because they only have one women's match or something, but I would have preferred that my, myself. Um, having said that, I thought this was a fun sort of action-packed four-way. Some of it was a little bit scary at times. Tessa on that dive, they did a great job catching her because that, that could have been yes. rough. Um, uh, you know, I'm of the opinion that Tessa's had a really good year. You know, um, I, I like all the other women in the match, at least to one degree or another in terms of thinking they're pretty good. Um, I thought they did what they needed to do for their spot. You know, yeah. they were not in a spot that was designed to have this blow away, unbelievably great match. Um, they were in a spot to, you know, have a match that was going to keep the crowd enthused, be a little bit, something a little bit different on the show. It was the only match of its kind on the show, male or female. And I thought they by and large delivered, yeah. you know, it, 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 it was certainly North of good, yeah. you know, it was, but it was not, it was great, but it didn't need to be either. I would agree with that. I would say it was above expectations for me in the sense that it felt like they just put together a match with the women they knew as opposed to the women who would have the best match, which feels like kind of a theme with the show now after the MJF thing. I will say that – and this is not a knock on any woman in the match. In fact, I'm a lot higher on Chelsea Green than you are. I rather enjoy her a lot of the time. But um, it does feel – a little crazy to me to have Jordan Grace on the show and not have her in a singles, even even though she really stood out and had a really actually a really good spot in the Rumble. Yes, it, it just it and in a way she might have been better off being in that Rumble. But for for me, just thinking about it purely as like what I would want to see as a fan, but also even how I would book it in my own sort of fantasy world of course i'm not drawing ten thousand fans so maybe i shouldn't be dishing out advice but it like i it would have been hard for me not to put jordan grace in a singles match i think yes or uh, even she, to put her in chelsea green spot here uh, yeah because i i'm of the opinion that she's probably the best woman's wrestler on the independent scene right now i don't have an agree with that and it just it just felt weird to me that she was there and not in this but again, she was had an important part in in the rumble, and I thought looked tremendous in it. So it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to criticize too much. I will say that Tessa's military press uh, in this match, I can't remember who it was on. I I, I thought that spot was awesome. It was one of my yes. favorite spots on the entire show. So um, I also love, and I thought just 
for randomness, even though, I mean, I know, I don't think, has she, has Britt Baker finished dental school yet? I didn't think uh, she I had. Believe, I believe that she has, actually. Okay, I so that, so she, that is a shoot, 100% shoot that she was introduced as Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. I believe that is correct. I believe she finished earlier this year. Okay. What what I find kind of funny about that, too, is like, oh, wait, I, I've never understood what the difference between a DMD and a DDS is, other than I presume a DMD is higher. I don't know. I'm going to consult Glenn Jacobs. I'm going to go up to Knox County and, and ask him. He may be an expert on this topic. But he's not a real dentist. I think it was Ian that mentioned that. <laughs> anyway, this was very good, though. It was. I, I'm a little... I was just a little down on it because of how scary, I think, on dwelling on the Chelsea Green stuff because of how scary I thought that one spot looked. Anyway, um, Nick Aldis versus Cody goes on next. Oh, and I sh before we get to the match, that all-in theme song they used for the video and for more than one video was terrible. You know, I didn't even notice it. I'm sure, I'm sure. It was. I I paid so little attention to the packages and stuff because like after the pre-show where the production was as bad as it was, I kind of lost faith on any of that shit. And I would just, you know, that would be my cue to go to the kitchen and get a soda or something. Well, it was – I don't know if it's online or anything. You have to remember too that they used basically the same package – the the NWA had posted only using they use Smashing Pumpkins disarm because they own it. So then to use a bad song for basically yeah. the same package was more glaring. Yeah, that's true. I yeah, because I did see the uh, the the Smashing Pumpkins overlay uh, video. Yes, and did you see now? Because they the, they they tweeted the music video. The video they posted on YouTube had a Cody promo, then an Aldis promo, then the music video. Did you see that? Uh yes, I did. Um, I thought the Cody promo was absolutely phenomenal, and I actually wish it could have been on the show or the pre-show. I, I thought it was quite good. Uh, I'm probably a little bit lower on Cody promos than the average person. Oh, I am too. I think but... he's way too actorly, even if he's better at that than he used to be. I thought this was the most natural and promo-like promo. -like promo he's ever I, I think he's better in the sort of sit-down settings, just as a rule. Um. And uh, I mean, look, the guy's a, a star. There's no question. But uh, yeah, it was it was a good promo for sure. Yeah. So Cody comes out with his nightmare family, and Brandy got her own entrance, by the way, which was interesting. Um. So the nightmare family. Let's see if we remember. Okay. So it was Pharaoh the dog, Tommy Dreamer, DDP, Glacier, and the Strength and Conditioning Coach. Right. Yes, and I've got to say, Glacier being there uh, was amazing. I loved it. Yes. He looks good, by the way. He's Ray, not Ray aged the man. much. No, he's the man. He's awesome. I, 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 I absolutely love that. So, uh, And I'm sure my, my dear, close, personal, longtime friend, Rich Laconi, will be very excited to uh, – we'll probably do a 45-minute segment on the PW Pondering's oh, newscast. Yes. <laughs> Glacier being there. So, uh, or as Chris would refer to him. Glacier. <laughs> um, so then the entourage for Nick Aldis was Jeff Jarrett, Sean Devari, um, I feel like I'm forgetting someone, and uh, what's his face? Tim, Tim, Tim Storm. Oh, yes, Tim Storm, and, and um, what's his face? Sam Shaw. Yeah, Samuel, Samuel Shaw. Sh 
with with his murder gloves on. <laughs> yes, I didn't realize it was him because they didn't really show any shots that were really close to him until I saw the murder gloves. I I like the idea that like if you don't know who that is, and most people probably don't because they probably don't remember who it is. There's this like you know like what are they what are they thinking like oh, is this Nick Aldis's like weird driver who's wearing his driving gloves to the ring like he's like, the what? he's the Scott to his Liberace. <laughs> like, like what possible thing are you thinking in your head if you're totally unfamiliar with that coming in? Also, Seriously. Sam Shaw has not been on Impact TV in in how long? A long time. I mean, it's he, years. He, he works, I think, the Tennessee Indies still semi regularly, but not anywhere near me. More but does in he even Tennessee. do the murder gimmick? I don't know. I, I I don't know. I don't. <laughs> oh, the murder gloves were also the same shade as red, the same shade of red as the ring gloves, which was a nice they should, touch. They should have done a spot in the match where uh, where where that's how Cody got color. Sam Shaw tried to kill him. They had to physically evict him. Um. The... <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the match. Um. I thought Cody put on the best individual performance of his career, which was much needed because good God is Nick Aldis terrible. Okay, here's the problem. Okay, the problem is not so much that Nick Aldis is terrible because I've seen Nick Aldis have good. He's not like a guy who you can't have a good match with ever, right? David Starr had a pretty good match with him this year. Even Isaiah the Tim, Frazier, the first Tim Starr match was even kind of good. Isaiah Frazier at Nova Pro at the Commonwealth Cup. I promise you, if you go back and watch that match on Powerbomb.tv, cheap plug. I promise you that match is actually quite good, right? So like it's 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 and that's and I mean I happen to think Isaiah Frazier has a lot of potential, but Isaiah so Frazier's not somebody that you that you would think would just, you know, roll out of bed and have a good match with somebody who's kind of middling either, right? So Al Aldis is capable of having having good good performances here and there. But he just adds no impact to anything. And and one yeah. of the things about this show was I had thought Aldis would retain um, because I've sort of – for a lot of reasons. One, I foolishly thought it was thought it was unlikely that Rhodes, Omega, and, and the Young Bucks would win. I forgot that their whole gimmick is that they're egomaniacal people. So that – like that – I should I should have – with the benefit of hindsight, I should have realized that – they weren't going to worry about the appearance of doing a vanity show ego stroke because this literally by definition was a vanity well, show yeah, well, ego stroke. See, so, I was surprised on the newscast that the three of you all thought that all this was going to retain because like, in my head I just kept thinking there's too much tying this into his dad for him to lose. No, I, I – I, I, actually I want to say one of us thought that he was going to lose. I think, I think Rich to his credit thought Aldous would lose but – but there was a lot of back and forth about it. And I, I – listen, I said that on that show and I'll say so here that the story really only made sense for Cody to win. Yeah. But, but, but I just had that feeling that they wouldn't do it for any number of reasons, some of which could be potentially political or whatever. And I do think we – that there's already a problem now for Ring of Honor because the, the Ring of Honor world title is now a secondary title. Because Cody Rhodes is vastly more over than Jay, Jay Lethal is, and he now has the NWA world title off of winning this match on a show that was built to for, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they, they, their, their top belt is, you know, it's whatever now. Um, um, I mean, honestly, I mean, 
I don't know if this is the right way to think when they're booking. Knowing this was coming up once Dalton Castle got hurt, they should have figured out someone who had a little more something to him going into this show to be the champion. Yeah, I mean, that's probably true. And that's not even really a knock on Jay Lethal because Jay Lethal, I think, did good in, in, in the role that he was asked to play leading up to this. But it, that's totally fair. Like, it, it, listen, this this was I'm trying to think of how I would put this. Um, All this I can't, mistimed a ton of spots. I mean, that's I, the thing. I, even if you think he's not bad, he was bad in this match. I, I can't call this like a, a terrible match. Oh, I don't think know? it was a terrible match. I think as a spectacle and a story match, I thought it was excellent. Um, I can't, I really can't even say that. I mean, I, I thought the match was needlessly long. Uh, to me, especially with how the show ended up, um, it's, you know, and I, I, I one wonders now, with the benefit of hindsight, if they knew all along that the show was going to be in danger of running long because they had nobody doing times or nobody treating time seriously or whatever. And they put this match on when they put it on because they wanted to have the coronation moment and they couldn't have it if they, if they let people just sort of liberally do whatever they wanted. <laughs> I, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, there was part of me now that wonder that one. How much of this was Cody not being sure what kind of match he could get out of Aldis, and how much of this was Cody wanting to make sure he had his time? It it's it could be either. Um, could be both. All I all I know is it feels crazy to me that this wasn't on last, and and I get it, you know, because when I mentioned this at the time, it, it happened on Twitter. People were like, "Well, uh, this wasn't going to be able to follow some of the other stuff." Well. I, I'm sorry, but the reality is, if that match goes on last, that entrance is still getting the exact same level of pop, and that finish is still going to get over huge. And the middle of the match is still going to be up and down, which is exactly what it was on the pot spot on the card. It, so I don't buy that argument one iota. The, the, it, the, this was the most theatrical thing on the show. It was the most WWE thing on well, the show. Well, no. I... I I mean, we could we could debate it, but I I I think it probably was. There were the, penis druids. Okay, fair enough. But this was a I thought this was the most WWE match on the show in the sense of you had your typical sort of WWE trope where the wrestler gets hurt in a match and they tease it's going to be ended and then you do a bunch of other well, stuff. Well, like the it, reason for that I thought was clearly either Cody forgot to bring his blade or he wanted DDP to blade him. I, I, I don't know what the reason was for was, or, you know, what reason there was for that forearm was the best looking thing that all just did the whole match. I'm not even saying that there, that there wasn't a good reason for it. I'm just saying it was very WWE esque, exceptionally WWE esque actually. Um, and we'll talk about that when I get to my, my synopsis at the end of the show. But, um, I actually did not like this very much. Um, however, it it succeeded in, ha- in having that big moment, and it confirmed the star power and sort of genius of Cody Rhodes as a star, right? Well, and- I thought that was real interesting, too, that when you consider – I mean, maybe it's the moment in the belt and the tie-in with his dad, too, but as much as you could – feel the fans in the building liking the Bucks and Omega. Cody felt like the only guy on the show that was beloved. 
Oh yeah, hundred percent agree with that. He he felt like the most. Ah, uh, you know what? Weirdly enough, I think Pentagon might have been, and we'll get to that. But but, uh, but yeah, I could see but, that. But, but go on. But but Cody definitely at a higher level, and I think part of it was this match had stakes. It was the one match on the show that had real big time stakes, that had build because the Ring of Honor title match had no build because it, I mean the build was an hour beforehand or whatever, and you know they did the spot which was the playoffs playoff of Austin and the Sharpshooter. With, with Brett, and this time Cody gets – I mean, it was clear to me that they were going for it. I saw the Voices of Wrestling account tweeted it right as I was thinking it myself, so I'll give them the hat tip there, um, you know, that that they went for that. And then, funny enough, the finish was, of course, the, the uh, you know – Leo Burke finish. Not, that's right, the, as Bret Hart would call it. <laughs> that's where he got it from, the 1992 SummerSlam finish with Bret Hart uh, sitting down on the sunset flip attempt, cradling the legs of the British Bulldog, which – Other way around. Uh, uh, or excuse me, yes, the bulldog cradling Brett's legs. I'm sorry, uh, but uh, as Brett called it, uh, the Leo Burke finish. And um, I'm sure Dave Musgrave, if he listens to that, will be excited to hear it. But uh, I, I thought the finish was great. I thought the last few minutes were great. I thought parts of this were really good. I also thought it was way too long. It 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 this this felt really tedious to me and it's funny because i don't even know how long the match went and i wonder if it's just the length of that one spot on the floor uh, let's see it it 22 minutes yeah i mean I, I this should have been a 15 minute match and i don't think it needed anywhere near 22 minutes um and uh i i don't think all this has 22 minutes worth of stuff honestly and i i i, I just felt that but 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 um, I'm going to I'm going to shamelessly compare this to my own thing here and have people roll their eyes and, and mock me and whatever, call me a mark or whatever. Just as the final of the 2018 Scenic City Invitational was really just about Joey Lynch winning. I mean, that's really what the match was about. Yeah. This match was really just about Cody Rhodes winning. And of course, at a much bigger level, than that. <laughs> that's really what this match was about. And from that perspective, it's difficult to give this any kind of negative marks, even though a lot of it didn't work for me, because, you know, you had the time of the father. He sold it so well. The entrance was so grand that, you know, even wearing the white when he's going to do the blade job, you know, he tr- he tried to do some referential stuff that I think was a little bit cute that I think would probably be ripped if it was on a WWE show. I mean, can you imagine if they had done the Earl Hebner stuff and the spot with the the the, the clover leaf and the blood running down his face like Austin Brett on a WWE show? We'd be getting tomes about how they can't let the past go. But I I don't really mind it because it was in the service of this big story that they did a really good job delivering on. So I, I, it's difficult. This is a match that I think it's almost difficult to think about the way we think about criticizing other matches, if that makes sense. It exists sort of outside outside of that paradigm altogether. Yeah, I, I mean, I get what you're saying. I didn't mind the, other than that, all this has a terrible cloverleaf. I didn't mind the kind of reference to the Austin Brett thing because they didn't really tease him passing out. It was more just the visual. That, that's that's fair. That's fair. I thought it was, and I mean, it's a great visual because the guy's straining and the blood's good. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't think that's that bad. They really didn't dwell on it, especially compared to all this other self-referential stuff on the show. Now, now, now let me ask. Let me ask you this. Yeah. 
do you think, um, you know, forget, let, let's set aside for a fact, for a minute, the the biggest problem with the show, which was the time stuff, which we'll get to when we cover the main event. Let's just assume that they that they actually have somebody who's managing times and knows what they're doing. Okay. The, the, I mean, I know there was someone who has been a who has been a producer on live pay per views before that was on the headsets for the show. I'm I'm sure of that, and I'm sure they were trying. But you know, set all that aside for now because that criticism is going to come later. In a vacuum. In a, in a world where the times are better managed and they don't have to rush off the air with literally no time left, where Ian Riccoboni's screaming basically as fast as he can to get everything in. Or even if this was just an internet streaming show where they didn't have to worry about that. Sure. It, it, in that universe, should this match have gone on last? It's the emotional peak of the show. Yeah. And I, I, I think the big question... I mean, going into the show, it was kind of like, could they keep the crowd up after all the other stuff? And based on the way the crowd was reacting to Cody, I think they could have. So if there yeah, were no I, time concerns, yeah, I think they should have gone on less. I mean, one of my biggest criticisms of the show, I'll just say it now because I think it fits here, is I thought the match order was actually quite bad on this show. Um, I, I, you know, and again, it's... People can say whatever they can rip it, and that you know you're just looking for something to complain. That's not really how this works. Like I, I you know imagine if MJF and Matt Cross had opened the pre-show with an MJF promo, then we'd had the battle royal, then so Cal uncensored, and the Briscoes had opened the main show. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that, like like there's a there's a lot of that on the show where it feels like I kind of understand why they did things in the order they did them in. But with the benefit of hindsight, seeing the show in its totality, to me, it feels like a lot of stuff would have been better in a different place. Well, also, quite uh, frankly, the way the match was worked, um, Lethal Flip should have gone out next. Yes, I agree. Instead of Janela and Paige, but Janela and Paige goes on next. And we'll get to that in a second. I do want to talk about um, Earl Hebner and the commentary for a second. Um Look, I know that I forget what they used his real name. So Timmy Baltimore from OVW was in for Callus on this match because he had called Cody's first match. And I get the connection. I get that he's good friends with Cody. I get that he's been through a lot of shit. One, that they didn't call him Timmy Baltimore was confusing because, like, until uh, Naylor tweeted at me that that's Timmy Baltimore, I was like, I mean, I was thinking, like, I don't even watch a ton of, like, late developmental era OVW, but I don't know who this guy is. And then finally, when Naylor said it was Timmy Baltimore, I was like, oh, okay, I know who that is. Why didn't they just call him that? Um, he, he did not do a good job at all. Even with the emotional hook of him being Cody's friend and calling Cody's first match, he really, like, he sounded like a guy playing wrestling announcer. Which sucks, because he had a good reason to be there, and I didn't think, I mean, what did you think of him? I didn't think much of him. <laughs> Put it that way. I mean, it was... Given how good the rest of the commentary was, he was distracting. And he said stuff like, you know, oh, Cody using the figure four that his father used to win the NWA title, which, nope. Yeah. And that's not something... I mean, that's like Matt Striker bullshit. Yeah, I know. I know. And that's, I mean, not, <sighs> that's not something you should just throw out there. I mean, does he use the figure four a lot? You can say, you know, his father used the figure... You know, his father used the figure four very effectively or something. Like, there are ways he could do that. Uh, but 
he 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 dra- he dragged things down a good bit, unfortunately. Um, Hemner, when you consider his age and his health problems, and that he's really not refereeing that much anymore, I would think he actually I thought did a pretty good job. I agree with that. I expected him to like. I expected him to do kind of his slower count bullshit, and he didn't do any of that. He actually seemed more taken aback by the moment than almost anyone else when he was doing the pre-match instructions. Uh, and I would say the one thing that I think he can really fault in and Excalibur for on the whole show, they should have gotten over Hebner's connection to Dusty and the NWA. Yeah, that would have been nice. But the thing about something like this is there's so many things that could be referenced that you probably can't. Yeah, but that's why he's there. He's not there because he's WWF Earl Hebner. Sure, sure. You know, that's that's why this was a moment for him. Like, I think that's the, I mean, uh, that's the only real fault I can say for them on the whole show is that, and actually, I mean, you would think, almost given his connection to all this, that Timmy Baltimore would be the guy to throw that in. And he didn't. Pro- I mean, sure. I, under, I understand what you're saying, but I also have gotten so accustomed to just sort of the failure of announcers in general to engage those sort of things. Um, even even good announcers, you know, um, often, all too often, in my opinion, will leave sort of key historical points that would enhance a match on the cutting room floor. And, um, you know, announcing is not easy. Commentating is not easy. I do a lot of it these days, and I, I get how you can forget certain key things. But, yeah, um, it, it, it would have been nice to maybe explain the relevance of that to one degree or another. Now, just before we move on real quick, because we are taking longer on this than we thought we would, um, I mean, what, how do you rate Cody's performance on this relative to his career? I mean, I thought in terms uh, of ring generalship and everything, I thought this... W- I mean, I could see arguing that it's not his best performance, his best match, whether you think it's the Ibushi match or whatever was his best performance. But I think, as far as his performance individually, I think this is the best of his career. Um... I didn't feel that way watching it, but I'm such, I'm not really a Cody person. So I don't have like a, a uh, laundry list of alternative matches. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't either. I mean, if I were to think of like Cody stuff I've liked, it would be the Ray matches and the Abushi match at the beginning of the year. Yeah. I mean, he's had some other stuff. I'm sure if I went back and looked that I, that I probably liked a good bit. Uh, but um, I mean, I don't think what makes Cody Rhodes a star and relevant has anything to do with his work in the ring. Well, that's maybe a little bit too far, but I don't think that's really what makes him who he is. So, uh, you know, he was fine. Like I, I, I thought he came across like a huge, huge star and he carried himself like a huge, huge star. And that is way more important than the fact that I was just kind of whatever about the match. All right. So moving on, uh, Adam Page, Joe Janela, Chicago street fight, uh, prefaced by a hangman page dream sequence about the murder of famous Dick, Dick wrestler, Joey Ryan. And then um, Nick Jackson will come up while on a headset and talking about how he needs to get to Gorilla. So this match was exactly what you'd expect of it in both ways. They 
killed themselves. It was a hell of a match. Um, I was surprised, but kind of thankful that Joey didn't do the Sasuke barrel spot when they pulled out the physical Cracker Barrel barrel. Yeah, I mean, what? Let me let me just say this before you go any further. I I thought this match did a great job of walking right up to the line of th- of you thinking, oh god, they're going to do a bunch of comedic horse shit that's not going to be funny and it's going to tank everything they've been doing in this match. They walked right up to that line about I don't know three times, and then right when you thought they were going to cross it, they went the other way. Yeah. And to me, that's the mark of really good pro wrestlers. Um, and I, I felt like this was, you know, if somebody said this was the best match on the show, I wouldn't argue with them. It, it, I am torn between this and, um, Omega and Penta, which we'll obviously talk about in a little bit. I could see arguments for either. Um, I, you know, I, I, I thought Joey Janela, his bumping is always crazy on these big shows, but this was an example of it. Like it's, it somehow feels even crazier when it's in a building of almost 11,000 people. Yeah. um, (laughs) Well, I thought it's weird. Like when they showed some of the replays, a few of the big spots were like, actually those were kind of safer than they looked like the burning hammer to the, onto the ladder. He really on the replay, it looked like he landed much less horrifically than it looked like on the first angle. And I say that in a good way, like in a, he did a very good professional job of looking like it killed him. And it maybe even have been the type of thing that they shouldn't have shown replays on the way they did. Um, but there was also a page awesome bombing him off the ramp onto tables that were set up way too far, which I have like, I thought he was de- not dead, but I, like, I wouldn't have been shocked if he couldn't finish the match after that. Also, the finish, I mean, there's no margin for error. <laughs> oh, Paige did a tremendous job protecting him on the— He did. He did. The, 100- uh, I always forget what he calls it, but the Amori driver, ex-guillotine driver. Um, because, he, like, I was like, oh, God, he's going to kill him. And he, he landed kind of going off sideways enough to where he protected him completely— but also while making not making it look like he was trying to protect him, while making it sure. look like that was the way he actually had to go off. Sure. It, 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 I, I, this was a great match. Um, it, was, it was a great match for the style that they wrestled. I, I think also we would be remiss if we did not mention that Penelope Ford always kills it and stands out on these big shows. No matter what spot they give her on these shows, whether she's in a match herself or whether she's just in a position where she's doing like the run-ins, you know, like and and her spots in the context of the run-in, which is what what it was here, she really excels on the big stage. Um, I remember a couple years ago uh, in Orlando Mania weekend, I thought she was one of the breakout players of the entire weekend uh, for for very similar reasons, and I, I you know, I just. She deserves a lot of credit for being able to do those sort of spots, which so often will take take a, especially a certain kind of hardcore fan out of a match. Like, oh, it's a run in, uh. and she does it in such a way where you don't care. 
You know what I mean? You do not care at all. Like if anything, you just you, it enhances the match. So no, I, here's what I think. Part of that is, I think it's two things. One, she's clearly gotten a lot more confident in her work in the last six months to year. I think, and she looks less hesitant and stuff in the, everything she does. Everything she does looks a lot more solid. Um, the other is, I think, well, it's three actually. I think she's doing a better job of picking which spots to hit on those interference spots because. I'm not crazy about that head scissor thing she does. And she didn't do that here. And the other is that, like, when she does stuff like the plancha, it, like, she gets so, so much height, it looks impactful. It doesn't look, it doesn't feel like, oh, look, they did the, you know, the tiny female valet doing a plancha isn't that cute. I mean, it looks like she's hurting Adam Page. Oh, yeah. She throws her complete body into it. And, and, um, listen, this was, exactly the match that in your best conception you would have hoped for you know i heard the 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 vow people uh on their on their show talking about how this could go either way and this could be a match that was all about penises or it could be a match that which i didn't even understand the reference because i don't watch being the elite or it could be a match that is was basically what we got and i think that analysis on their part was spot on and I think as it turned out, we ended up getting both. But <laughs> the penis stuff came after the match, thankfully. And, uh, you know, I don't the, – the, the, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about the post-match. Um, okay, well, first things first, I do want to say – like, you're right. They, this could have come so close to falling off the rails with the being the elite Joey Ryan tie-ins. And it didn't. Like you said – they always zagged when you thought the match was just going to fall apart and go too much into the being the elite comedy. Yes, every time, and and that's to their their credit. And um, one thing, I mean, one thing I thought was clever about the layout was how with the two things with like the garbage bags with the object with the callbacks were where that. So first, it's Paige brings a garbage bag into the ring. He doesn't use it. Then Penelope brought one into the ring, and she's kind of waving it at him. And then it's the haunted booth. So it's like someone else is bringing them into the ring. You don't even have to like be buying into the whatever too much because it can be he's crazy. Yeah, it can be whatever. And then what he brings in is the phone that he used to kill Joey Ryan. And when he he just starts wailing on Janelle in the brainstem with it. For what they, if you're gonna do that type of wackiness, it was all threaded into the match very well. I I I agree. I agree. It it was actually about as good as you possibly could have done it. I think, in terms of layout, this was the other match other than the battle royal that I think you could make an argument was the best laid out match on the show. And it didn't feel too long either. And it went. No. it went twenty minutes though. Yeah, and I was just about to say you probably uh, you uh, you probably could have cut a little bit of this. I had but no, I didn't feel like it went twenty minutes though. You 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 probably could have cut a little bit of this, but I don't. It wasn't like virtually every other match on the show that felt like it needed time cut. If that makes sense, like yeah. the you know it it just you know it was. It was it was right in in in, in the wheelhouse, you know. It, it, could they have gone sixteen or seventeen and had a slightly tighter mat? Probably, but it 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 didn't. I don't think them going twenty was to the detriment of the match or the show. No. 
which I am not sure I can say about the other stuff. Not and and that's not and that's with me feeling that you know everything on the show was was pretty good with maybe one exception depending on on how you feel about yeah. certain things. Now, by the way, before we get to the post match, um. I'm sure I'll find out at some point if I bother to ask anyone. Because one of the things I'd been thinking on was like, Janelle was, was like the only person on the show who had like signature commercial entrance music. And I kept trying to figure out how they were going to deal with it. And they had a surprisingly good knockoff, which made me wonder, did they commission this for the show or did they find it in a, like a production music library? And like they happened like... I know the way those are designed is you search for the artist. I didn't think you'd have one where you could search for Kavinsky. But, like, I I was worried that the Janela entrance would just be, like, a fart. You know what I mean? Because I knew they couldn't use his actual music. But this was a pretty good substitute, right? Yeah, I thought it worked really well. I mean, it, it was it was such where if you were far enough away, you might not even notice that it wasn't the actual protovision. You know what I mean? Like if yeah. you were in the other room, you might not notice. Like uh, it was it was that close. So um, it was uh, you know it was like a DDP coming out. It just smells like Team Spirit. Yeah. Which, by the way, the the <laughs> Nitro book I believe says that that was not a Jimmy Hart creation. I think that that might be incorrect. I think because you can look up the publishing. I think that one they said was actually a, a library song that was just an existing "Smells Like Teen Spirit" knockoff, or at least the the everything before the DDP parts are added. At least, sure, sure. Uh, Although I I do like the idea that uh, DDP had created a library song independent of his wrestling career, <laughs> where he yelled "Self Five Five at the beginning of it that he then used as a wrestling song totally separately. All right. um, <laughs> so the post match. Lights go out. Gregorian chants start playing, and we get penis druids. And the... well, f- well, first we get the visit, the visual of Joey Ryan dead in a bed as an erection slowly rises from underneath the sheet. Which was exactly the way to do that. And if you're going to do that, it's not necessarily my thing. That was the perfect way to do that. I mean, listen, I. I again, like I don't want to rehash all my Twitter po- talking points. First of all, where the hell did the people in the crowd get the inflatable penises? That was very disturbing. How many were there? I only <laughs> there saw were, the one. Were, I think there were at least a couple. Um, so that was that was an interesting. I'm gonna assume thing. they were plants. Um, I hope so. Uh, otherwise, uh, that's um, some interesting thing going on in Hoffman Estates. But I. Uh, I, all I could think of watching this was all the times where you've like over the years where like you're watching a segment on Raw. The most recent one I can think of would be that terrible segment with Bobby Lashley and Sami Zayn and and His Lashley sisters. sisters. Yeah. Yes, and you're you're watching with somebody who's a nominal fan or a non-fan. I mean that was embarrassing to any sentient being. But you know you're 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 watching this and. You're think you're and and you're worried that that that, you know, how harsh is everybody else in the room watching this, judging you, for you being the person that chooses to watch this this on your own volition, and I just can you imagine, if you were watching, that like in your living room, and uh, then you know like. Uh, 
I don't know, like uh, your your girlfriend comes over, or like uh, you know, like a, a buddy comes over, whoever, or like your mom walks in. Like, there's there's no explanation that's gonna work. Like there's there's nothing you can say in that moment that is is not going to uh, that's gonna have any effect on all the sort of embedded assumptions that are immediately going to enter the mind of the person who has walked in the room. In other words, wrestling is gay. Uh, well, be way more than just wrestling is gay. Okay. <laughs> like, like uh, I, I, I don't mind the accusation of homoeroticism. That, that doesn't much bother me. But the degree to what, I mean, it, and I, this isn't, by the way, it's not a criticism of it because I thought, you know, this crowd ate it up. It appealed. They, these were all being the elite fans. Well, I shouldn't say all, but probably overwhelmingly. And uh, they they clearly wanted to see this. It was it was given to them. Oh, from the way the- they were reacting, they reacted to the haunted booth spot. It seemed like it was predominantly being the elite crowd. Yeah, and it wasn't done during. It wasn't done during the match. Um. So I thought. Listen, I thought they did. I, I thought they did a. Good job with what this was. It's just what this was was something that was, you know. Ridiculous. Beyond ridiculous. Like but, ridiculous is a radical understatement. Okay, let me ask you something, though. <laughs> yes. I, my tweet when this happened was, this is either a brilliant parody of, under, of Undertaker Angles, completely hypocritical on something that's an anti-WWE show, and I don't think we can dispute that it was marketed that way in large part. Or both. Where do you stand on that? Uh, I don't really see it as hypocritical. I think it's more parody. I mean, I have a couple of takes related to the WWE angle uh, that I'll get to at the synopsis, and I'll leave it at that because I, I they're they're bigger takes that it that I think speak to the the show as a whole. And the sort of project of all in or, you know, this this new sort of bipolar universe that has emerged now where where Ring of Honor, New Japan and a few sort of independent contractors are clearly sort of setting up shop as an alternative power block uh, because they're not independent. That's not even really a serious position in my view. Uh, But it it, will we'll 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 get there. I, I'll say this. Doing it as an, a blatant Undertaker parody was very smart because I think anything else they could have done would have felt too heavy on the dick comedy. I think they were right to run in the direction of the absurd. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that they I, went I, so overly absurd and referencing the Undertaker thing. The, 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 and the doing the druid stuff, especially even going back to the like specifically having Adam Page do Kane's lines from the WrestleMania 20 match, like the whole I or, or not oh maybe it wasn't literal but I think it was in this case it was I killed you because WWE's not going to do that not you were dead, yeah but he was basically being Kane in the WrestleMania 20 match was how they played it and. It, it for what it was, it worked. Um, it's not necessarily my cup of tea, but I, I was. I don't think I would have found it really 
because I'm not a Joey Ryan guy, although I do I do think the whole famous dick wrestler thing is funny, just in, as a as a line and a, and as a nickname. Sure. Because it is like make kind of making fun of how one note he's become. But like I this this was the way to do this. So I good on them for that. Um and Joey Ryan I mean even though I'm not a Joey Ryan fan, although I, I, I like the match he had with MJF at the MLW show here a month or so back. Um, again, it's glad to see some of the more veteran indie guys do something on this show. I, I, I agree with that. And actually, funny enough, now that I think about it, I think my all-time favorite Joey, or, or Joey Ryan performance is also my all-time favorite Cody performance. They had a match together at an APW show I went to. No, it was before oh. that one. It was the it was the one that set that up. It was at a school in Daly City when I was living in California. This would have been November, I think, of 2016, mm-hmm. and I really liked that match quite a bit. So um, that's neither here nor there. No. So anyway, Jay Lethal, Flip Gordon, um, they did a thing where they played off being the elite, where someone slapped Lethal on the shoulder and he became Black Machismo. Um, he came out to pomp and circumstance. He had Lanny Poffo with him, who had frisbees but didn't cut a promo. And this, I like I said, like the the positioning on the card was weird. So I did not hate the. So there were some people who hated this match. Um, now, you know the 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 criticism, of course, will be that there's a lot of people who have a lot of biases against Gordon and Lethal um, maybe for good reason that have nothing to do with wrestling. Well, you know what? Let me and, just get it out there then. I tweeted this. This may sound a little... Maybe this is too alarmist. I don't think they should have gone so over the top with the stuff with Lethal and Brandy right now. Uh, I didn't think about it until you tweeted it, but I'm also a cis white guy, so I don't have to think about that kind of stuff. You know what, you know what I mean by that? I maybe sure. Are you othering me being Jewish? No, no. (laughs) You're a globalist elite, Bix. Thank you. The, the, uh, I, no, I, I, that is not at all (laughs) what the intention was, but um, my my point was rather that I didn't necessarily notice it, you know, and that could be just by virtue of my own where I am in the world. And maybe that might be something I need to think more about. But um, I could see what you're saying. Um, I in general, this match, I did not think it was bad. I did think it was one of the weaker matches on the show. Um, it. I I I like the Lanny Poffo presence. I thought that added to it. it but kept you know what ad- though? What's that? And I hate to interrupt, even though we kind of have to keep this moving. I think having Lanny there telegraphed that Lethal was winning. Oh, I agree with that. But I uh, just to be dead honest with you, I don't think that. Lethal's so cold as champion, though. Like, yeah, I think but I would have been on those flip. near falls more, though, if if Papa wasn't with him. I mean, I mean, the problem is that Flip Gordon is Flip Gordon, and I, I, I that sounds way more negative than it's than I mean it. But I, what I'm saying is, 
to me, Flip Gordon, when running the Ring of Honor World Championship on the show, even though there are actually some storyline reasons why it might make sense, particularly with Cody winning a major title on the show as well, uh, it it just that's a stretch. Um, that's a, that 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 would have been hard for me to rationalize with or without Lanny Poffo. Um, I was happy to see Lanny. Um, I I dug that he threw the frisbees. Um, uh, that was my favorite thing in the match. <laughs> Not that the match was bad, because I, I really didn't think the match was bad. You know, they did the parody of it was strange because oh, they, they mixed did, together yeah, did, Savage Warrior and Savage Hogan. Yes, which I thought was which odd. threw off Ian too. Yeah, I thought I, I thought that was odd uh, that they sort of combined the two elements there. But you know, look, it was fine. I think the biggest takeaway from this match is. It was very comedic by comparison to Cody and Aldis. And what does that say about the Ring of Honor world title? If on this show you have this super serious presentation, the the 10 pounds of gold is the most important title in the world, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, sure, it's on earlier in the show. But then Cody wins it in this big sort of theatrical match with blood and, you know, a true sort of wrestler's wrestler's finish. And then you've got Jay Lethal doing his, I don't want to say comedy character, but comedic character. Well, and they did the split personality shtick. This you wasn't know, just him coming out in the Randy Savage gear and doing Randy Savage spot. Sure. And, and, and at one point, Lanny gets on the apron and actually summons him to do the, the elbows. You know, like, it, 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 to me, it, it really makes the ROH title funny enough look like a prop on the look like a being the elite gag whereas the NWA title did not look like a being the elite gag I think that's very interesting I think that's a very interesting thing and it's gonna be very interesting to follow that by the way yeah um well I think that also depends on how much Cody takes out dates if he does it all I I don't know what to expect there I mean that's a big sort of that's kind of the elephant in the room, right? And I don't know what to expect with that. I think, um, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I was surprised that no one made any kind of in-joke when Papa got hit with the low blow, though. I'm, I'm thankful they didn't. Excalibur was, like, as good as a color commentator was, he was shockingly non-jokey on this show. Yeah, I think it, I think he treated it very seriously, and I think he did a great job. Like yeah. I said earlier, I think uh, probably to the benefit of the show that he wasn't. Even though I like some of his sort of joker, jokey, bantery stuff at PWG, I I'm just I'm glad that it was played straight here. I, I thought it it uh, it it added to the show, and there was enough sort of comedic inside joke knee slapping being the elite stuff as it was it didn't need a commentator doing the wwe thing where they relentlessly hammer you over the head with the ha ha you should be laughing thing yeah. so I'm, I'm glad we didn't get a lot of that yeah um there i feel like there was something else i was going to say about this but i forgot so let's just move on for now um bully ray ran out to attack them for some reason um oh he was who low blowed Lanny and he set up table, command made the save, and they gave him the shield power bomb. Yeah, I don't 
You know what was okay. weird about that? If you're gonna do like everything, well, <laughs> okay, but I, I, Bully Ray should have never come back out. I, I get wanting to, I get wanting to give Cabana a bigger spot though. Like sure, and again, he's like the designated heel because it works both ways. If you either hate him as a heel or you hate him because he does not fit into any of the promotions that he's working for right now. Yeah, I mean, like, this felt really shoehorned to me. Um, you know, uh, I don't know how Bully Ray got two major segments on this show where he was dominating the ring over multiple people. Well, yeah, that he, that, laid, he I mean, laid out not just the legend, but also the champion and the guy that almost won the belt from him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I guess Bully Ray is like Triple H in this universe. I don't know, like... I, I, I like it's really weird. Um, you know, like it, it, it. I mean, sure, he ate the the shield power bomb or the other, the, whatever, at the end of the segment. But God, it was weird. Like of all the people to present as this uber over heel, who <laughs> is worthy of multiple segments, and I mean, just very strange. Very, very strange. Well, also, I, they did the shield power bomb, and it was clearly supposed to be the shield power bomb. Oh yeah, but they didn't. No one jokingly did the the Roman howl or anything. No, I don't. I, I don't know. It just it, I, it was weird. I mean, I, I, I don't I'm know. Like, it, 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 I, honestly, I, this was the one thing on the show, like that normally felt completely I, unnecessary, other than and, Cabana and, getting a shine. And I, I normally talk, I chalk this up to like the parody stuff with the being the elite and, and this sort of thing. Even like this was the one thing on the show where like if a WWE loyalist, one of those type fans, said this felt petty, I would be hard pressed not to agree with them. Like it, 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 it felt. You, you know how in the in the in the nineties when EC, sometimes ECW would do these things, where. It would feel like, like more often than not, when they do something that would shit on or joke at or troll the one of the dominant brands, it would feel funny or it would feel ironic enough or silly enough or cutting enough. Monday Night Quill. To, to, to really work, right? Yeah, like a Monday Night Quill type thing. Sure, sure. But every once in a while, they would do something that just came across as petty and it made them look Bush League. Right. It made them look like the joke instead of the people participating in the joke. And this was the one instance on the show. It didn't quite I don't think it quite hit the point where. It, it, but if somebody said they felt that way, I'm not sure I could proffer a compelling counterpoint. Like, I, I, I think it is. I think it is a fair assessment if somebody made like to me personally, I wouldn't quite go that far. But I could certainly see the argument that this felt like, you know, uh, you know, almost like, uh, you know, you know, like the, 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 uh, the, the kid who, you know, um, gets, gets his ass kicked and then goes and locks himself inside of his house and, uh, like, uh, you know, throws something at the bully from his window, you know, like it, it just, it, it felt. You're saying weak. this was the wearing a diaper to own the libs of this show. Yes, it felt weak. It it felt beneath their their stuff, frankly. Like I, I, I just, you know, 
I don't, I actually don't care for most of it, but I understand it at least. And I understand that I'm in a minority and that it has a huge audience. This was the one thing that I just, yeah, I, I don't really get why it was done at all. Yeah. I mean, it had the tie in to Bully from earlier in the show and it was the thing that made the most, I would guess the idea was to have something for Cabana to do on the main show and get a shine spot. And I get that. And there was, that was something that should, made sense to have on the show and really should have been on the show. But the way they went about it didn't quite work. Yes, I agree with that. All right. Kenny Omega versus... Okay, I have the post-wrestling thing in front of me. It says Pentagon Jr. No, he did not wrestle Pentagon Jr. He did not wrestle Penta El Cerro M. M. Do you remember who Kenny Omega wrestled? Was it Penta El Zero? Yes. Graphic? No, not just the Chiron. His vi- his video was Penta El Zero. The ring announcement was Penta El Zero. Um, Cubs fan, when I mentioned on Twitter, I think it was he was just speculating, thought it was the AAA who was trying to pull shit with trademarks again, but he wrestled as Pentagon Jr. in AAA. I mean, you know, you know, when he went back, back now he's still Pentagon Junior there, and I, I haven't heard anything about them trying to file trademarks on him again, which is normally some that they never use, which is normally something they do in a retaliatory fashion when they do it. So, why was he Penta L Zero? Like legit, I have not seen a reason for this anywhere. Hello. Via that to a audience, oh, you broke up. confusing them with like the Dylan, longer. Dylan. You broke up for a second. Can you just double back to the beginning of your response? I, I don't know. I don't know. It was weird, right? Uh, it's not me. It, it, it stood I out mean, as weird, right? I, I think I think this is a very Bix thing to have noticed, but it is but it is odd, yes. Because it's not his name, I, and they were not advertising him as that. No, it is odd. It, it, it's undeniably weird. I agree with that. And no one mentioned it. And then, well, also... After the intros, no one called him Penta L Zero anymore. He was just Penta. Yes. Something happened here, and I have no idea what. That said, the match was excellent. Um, I think they meshed better than anyone expected. Although I kind of had a feeling that it would click. Um, in I would say I, I'm trying to figure out if you would say that Penta was elevated, given that he already is one of the biggest stars on the Indies and appears to be getting ready to sign with WWE since he's not taking any dates for 2019. But he... I mean, he was put over in a fashion that no one else on the show was, even Cody. Yeah, I would be hard-pressed to say that he was elevated because, to me, one of the more interesting things coming into the show was projecting what the reaction for him would be. Because there was a lot of sort of Doom and gloom's too strong, but there was a, there was a lot of fear I think about this match, right? And I didn't really know what to expect in terms of quality, but I actually thought this was a very smart match to book because it was a match that sort of perfectly bridged the world of the broader sort of hardcore independent wrestling fan and the being the elite fan, right? It was like almost the it was like the the, the best of both worlds in one matchup, while also being a unique match that hadn't been done, and um. I thought that one of the most interesting things was going to be to see what kind of reaction Penta got because 
I think for a lot of people, there's this assumption that he's this that that he's been one of the biggest stars on the Indies for the last few years and a guy who can draw. But I also think that most people perceive him as being clearly not anywhere near the level of your Cody's and your young, basically the people that are running the show, right? Right. But but I actually think that we now have demonstrable proof that that isn't true. Oh, he was, he is he's I mean, clearly at that level. I mean, he was he was he, more over than Omega with that crowd. Uh, at, certainly at the beginning, yes, there's no question. I actually thought he was the most over wrestler on the entire show uh with the with the exception of Cody. Um he you know and and we can chalk some of that up to the fact that he's been a top guy in in you know AAW for three a little over three These years now. Ten thousand people aren't going to AAW and it was also mostly a fly in crowd. Correct. You know, like the biggest AAW crowd in history, I think, was like eight hundred people. So, you know, you're this is e- even allowing for the fact that there may have been a larger than normal in the average ten thousand crowd, um, you know, sort of a, a local support base for him, which I think is true. It doesn't explain the degree to which he was over. I listen, I thought to me, the, the the surprise of this match wasn't that it was a great match because I figured that, you know, they would at least try to have a really good match, right? To me, the surprise of this match was that I thought Pinta was the harder worker, at least for the first half. And that almost never happens in a Kenny Omega match. I, what, what, I thought Omega, I thought Omega had a great match. I thought Omega looked by his standards pretty rote. Yeah, I mean, I... Normally, in in a normally in a Kenny Omega match, whether you think he whether you like his style or whether you think he's good or bad or whatever, the one thing you can normally never deny is that he's the hardest worker because he's just he's just such a everything is so go 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 and like so much and it, like it, it, it's just that's what he is. In this match, I thought, especially in the first half, I thought Pentagon kind of worked circles around him, and I don't know if that was by design, if that if the match was done in such a way to sort of shine Penta up uh, to the maximum degree, with maybe the theory being that maybe he wouldn't be as over as Omega, because I could easily see how that would be perceived coming in. Uh, but whatever the case, um, this turned into a great match. I mean, I. I it's hard for me to say whether I thought this was better or Paige and Janela. I mean, my my gut is to say this match was better, but I just like Janela so much as a performer that it's that you know it, it's difficult to say. But they had, I mean, this had they, the best false finish on the show. Well, and it did in a match where uh, where and, the and ending was was obvious, inevitable, I mean, and I mean, yes, ob- yes. because. Because there's no chance the IWGP champion, whether he's carrying the belt to the ring or not, and he didn't here. Well, do you think that was on purpose? I do think it was on purpose. I think it was done as a decoy. I 100% think it was done deliberately. I think it was. I think it was done with the theory that if he walked out with the belt, everybody would, even if people didn't think it was a title defense, everybody would be reminded of the fact that he was the champion, and people would be like, "Oh, he's not losing. There's no way," and it would take away from the drama of the near falls. I 100% think that's the although case. They, yes. Although they did mention he was the champion on the ring announcements and on commentary. Sure, um, but it's different than when you visually see it. There's a yeah. There, there, no, I agree. There, and I, I absolutely 
believe that that was a that 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 was at least a factor in the decision making for him not to carry the belt to the ring. And I think it was the right decision. I think it helped the match. I thought it was one of the best performances, singles match performances Penta's had in the last couple of years. I think it's the best non plunder match singles performance I've maybe ever seen from him, at least in the states. Well, very well, maybe. Um, you know, uh, I I was very 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 impressed with it and. Um, did they spam near falls and all that stuff? Yes, but this was the match on the show to do that with. If there was if there was any match on the show where that should have been done, this match and the main event would be the two matches where you would do that. So I can't criticize it because it was the exact right match to do it. And uh, I just thought this was, I thought this was great. I thought this. I, I listen. I, this probably belongs more in the synopsis, but I'll just say it here. I don't think there was anything on this show that was match of the year level um, or even particularly close to match of the year level. But this is the kind of match where if I had been in the building live for it, I maybe could see it that way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's possible that I would have like uh, – so um, – Well, it, the it near was... fall with after he did the apron spot and the broken arm and so, like – Yes. Again, yes. like – to be able to get such a great false finish that everyone bit on, on the match that had the most obvious winner on the show, is a huge feather in the cap of both guys. I agree. I thought. I thought it was. I thought it was great. And I'm. And I'm. You know, I'm hardly the biggest fan of Penta singles matches. I'm a big fan of Lucha Brothers as a team, and I'm hardly the biggest Omega fan. But this match completely delivered. Yeah. I mean, if, if the. I would say this match was at worst um, the sort of most – what's the way I want to phrase this? It's late and I'm old, so bear with me. At the, the, I, I would say the, the worst thing you could say about this match was that it was like the match that delivered most on the promise – of of sort of the super indie style yeah. that I think some people might have naively thought this show was about if they weren't aware of all the being the elite tie-ins. And it was also, in terms of setup, the most dream matchy match on the show. They worked it that way. Um, I mean, it was just a total home run. I mean, the only only thing I didn't like about it was, I mean, and this is a thing with all of Omega's matches now, way too much head dropping. I agree, but again. It's it's an example of I don't mind it on this show, if that makes sense. Yeah. But, well, I mean, it's on this show, it's better than on New Japan, where it feels like everyone else is starting to do it to keep up with them. Sure. Yeah. Um, But it's weird, too, to come off of when you have the Janela Page match, where aside from the powerbomb, and that was because they put the tables too far. Like the crazy stuff in that match, like especially looking at the replays, feels safer than the head dropped in this match. And that's not something you necessarily think at first glance, but like some of those like package pile drivers and the I hate the Snapdragon. I mean, we're ridiculous. The apron, but I mean, as a match, it was tremendous. But it's like, I, I, I mean, this was what I was saying too. Like after the, and not to get on a whole tangent with the Hiroma thing, it was just that. No one was doing this in New Japan until Omega became a main event guy. And it feels worrisome that all of a sudden everyone's going back to that. Hey, where are you on that? You appear to be breaking up since I'm not hearing you. 
Yeah, I have no clue what happened. My computer started going haywire and turned my mic off there in the in the uh, tradition of Dylan Hill's audio appearance. Well, anyway. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Well, it, it's not... It, it, there were worse sound issues on the pay-per-view, so... Go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, I don't even remember your question, because I'm frazzled. Was like, it, it, where, the, head drops. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. All right. Here's my synopsis. Here's my synopsis on the head drops. I get why people are uncomfortable by them with them. I get why you know you don't want to have an all Japan 2.0 scenario with this stuff. But viewing this match through the lens of this show. Oh, this I don't is a, yeah. I get what you're saying. If like, this was just like, a one off, I wouldn't even be talking about that. Sure. So. <sighs> I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't have, like, in the broader context of wrestling, there's probably something to be said about it, particularly in New Japan. In the context but, of the show, though, no. But not in the context of the show, yes. That's fair. All right. Um, but yeah, Penta feels like, coming on the show, Penta feels like one of the biggest stars in the entire business, which is not a huge exaggeration given his status in Mexico right now, either. No, I think he is. I think it's fair to say that he's one of the biggest stars in the entire business, and that's sort of irrespective of what happens with the WWE. Uh, and he's only going to get bigger at this point. I also should, I will give them props too because this is a thing we've seen with him, and Impact does not fall into this trap, but other promotions do. He'll get booked into like flippy lucha type matches with his brother that he really shouldn't be in because that's not his style, and I think a lot of bookers and promoters miss that. But Impact realizes what he's good at, and they here they didn't put him in that. They put him with Omega, which was the right match. No, I 100% agree with that. Um, Post-match angle. Lights go out. Pentagon's laying in the ring where he was laying. But then he pops up, and it's not Penta. It's Chris Jericho. And it was a tremendous angle, huge pop. Jericho beat the hell out of him, you know, just punches and tons of code breakers. And Jericho was also moving better than he had been lately, too, in his last couple matches. Um, I'm going to say, though, as great an angle as it was, Jericho saying, see you on the Jericho cruise at the end, I felt like just killed it because I feel like just doing it with him either saying something else or not saying anything would be more effective than him mentioning the stupid cruise. Uh, yeah, that kind of stood up like a sore thumb. Um, I don't know. Like, I... because it went from being like, oh, okay, now he's, I guess he is going to appear in the States for uh, non WWE promotions. Maybe this is, it does mean that he's going to be going to Impact to, oh, right, the cruise is mainly marketed towards Americans, so this is his last hard sell for the cruise. Yeah, and I mean, this was a cool angle, but. I just don't care about Chris Jericho. I mean, I I just don't care about Chris Jericho. I don't want to see him. No, you know, like I like I get I get that there's a that I'm in the minority and there's a huge segment of fans that are still into him. To me, he's like you know, um, I it's it's over. That ship sailed a long time ago for me. <laughs> and uh, I just don't I don't uh, I don't want to see him. So, but it was an extremely well executed angle. Got over huge live. Um, you know, it was, I'd be praising it to high heavens if he had not said that at the end. Yeah. I, and I could see that too, but I mean, I don't want to criticize it because it was, it was extremely well executed yeah. and it got over. 
So I can't say it was just because it's not just because it's, you know, not something I want to see, or at least not the wrestler I want to see, doesn't mean that it didn't achieve its its goal. And, you know, it wasn't badly, poorly executed. So um, I'd, I'd have to give it high marks overall. All right. Um, by the way, did you just get a DM from a mutual friend whose account may have been hacked? Uh, no. Okay. We'll talk about that when we're done, which we need to be <laughs> soon because we did not have a limited satellite window, so we're going much longer than you wanted to. Um, Okada and Marty Skrull. Um, long story short, Okada does not have a house show match down yet the way that the older New Japan guys, especially Tanahashi, do. And so when he's not doing the Okada main event match, he's kind of there. And Skrull is not really the right opponent for that. Now, this did pick up a lot towards the end, but the crowd was also surprised, especially considering it's Skrull and the actual biggest star on the show. Like this, they were not into this at all. I mean, part of it was clearly that the, the work wasn't clicking, but it also just seemed like the two guys maybe maybe it was coming off of that previous match or whatever. This just did not click at all until the last you know seven minutes. Well, I think part of the problem was the high of the previous match. Also, it was the second consecutive match where I think it was completely obvious who was going to win. the 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 other issue it had is. Um, listen, there's just, there's, it, we just need to be honest about this stuff. I get that there's a lot of people who like new Japan style and not just like it, but love it and think it's the best thing ever, but you know, uh, or main event style particularly, but, and this was at least to a degree, a new Japan style main, main match, or at least the Okada long form match. Um, look, it's fucking stupid and just bad wrestling to, to wrestle this long. It was when it's not necessary. Minutes. I mean, that's just bad wrestling. This match should have been a little that's, like no more than two thirds of that. that. That's this is Triple H tier dog shit. And that, they did and it a would Triple be, H to- finish. It would be totally viciously eviscerated if something like this happened on WWE show. So I'm not going to let them off the hook for this. I, I'm going to be as polite as I can because people get real emotional when you, you know, go after their idols or whatever. And I get that to a degree. I think we're all guilty of that, but this is why I can't take seriously the argument that Okada is the best wrestler in the world. This. You, Cause he had it, no it, second you, gear. You, you, how do you not, this should have been, this is not. This has nothing to do with how I personally feel about Marty Skrull or Okada. I had people in the building tweeting to me, conceding that this was the least overmatch on the show, and that was after Okada and Marty both got big pops when they came out. They didn't lose the crowd entirely because of placement. They lost the crowd because the work was garbage. You. This should have been eight to ten minute sprint because what the fans wanted to see was gar- was Marty's signature spots, which they all went crazy for down the stretch, and then you know the the big Okada moments, particularly a rainmaker finish. That's what they wanted to see. Why shoehorn all this extra extra crap in there? I get the idea of the sort of meta narrative of well, Marty Skrull wants to prove that he can hang with the heavyweights, blah blah blah. That's you don't need to have a twenty-six minute long match and to if, prove that. And if that. you're gonna do that, do that on a New Japan show. That does not fit on this show. It 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 they can I mean they cannibalize so much time 
And it, it to the great detriment of the main event, in my opinion, which may have been the shortest match on the show. Ooh, like, it like, went like, 11.44. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the rest of the matches were, but that, that had to have been one of the shortest matches. I mean, I, I would be... That may have been the shortest match on the show, honestly. You may be stop. right as I'm looking through this. It, it, it is... And I'm not saying that the main event needed 25 minutes. Well, holy shit. Daniels versus Amel was exactly 11.44. Well, and then the go. opener was the shortest at 10.06. They they had the same amount of time as the fucking actors match, okay? And listen, you can't put all of that on Okada and Skrull. But Okada and Skrull is the biggest violator uh, you know, in, in terms of time. Because... There's just no excuse for it. There's no compelling argument for it at all. It didn't get the reactions it needed to be that long. It didn't need to be that long for its place on the show. It didn't need to be that long for, for the way it was booked. I mean, here's it didn't what I need think to be that is. long for both guys to get over. I mean, just, just boiling it all down, I think they wanted to have a big false finish, and which ended up being, you know, Marty. Uh, I'm drawing a blank now. What did he do before he hit his own Rainmaker? Oh, it was the Umbrella Shot. Yeah. The Correct. umbrella shot to his own Rainmaker, basically a variation on the Triple H uh, Undertaker Tombstone WrestleMania 27 spot, which I think you're the one who has said that the only reason that worked was that people thought that Triple H was a big enough asshole to book himself to win that way. Yes, yes. Um, And this is a show where um, someone who's part of the promoter slash bookers stable was the one doing that. Um, So not exactly the same, but similar. And... It seems like it was about that spot, and they didn't think that spot was earned if the match didn't go long. I, I mean, maybe I don't know. I, I like. I think the far more likely uh, explanation is that Kazuchika Okada uh, just believes all of his matches should be twenty five, thirty minutes. I mean, <laughs> like it, it, it like it, that's what he thinks a big match is, and that's why it's a ridiculous and absurd claim to say he's the best wrestler in the world. But in, until I can see. Like, this is the kind of stuff that drives me crazy about this. This is why I don't watch New Japan main events religiously anymore because of stuff like this. Like, there was a period earlier in the early in the year where I was watching everything. And, you know, it's like every single match of his is going 25 to 35 to 40 minutes. And it, even even when they're good. Right. Well, even when they're good, here's it's like, what I'm wondering. Then. What's what's the point of that? You're the fucking champion. I mean, he's not the champion anymore, but uh, you disappeared again. I'll talk while you try to reappear. But for me, I I I see how it's only these big long title matches of his that really click. And I'm like, I wonder if Ghetto is still kind of lame. It, it very well could be my computer going haywire because it's been doing weird shit for the last twenty minutes. Regardless. I'm recording. Um, I'll, I guess I'll pick it up. Uh, okay, give me a few seconds. I'll just talk. So I have no idea how I'll edit this, but Dylan disappeared. So I was just going to say, though, that my takeaway is kind of wondering that the more we see that Okada does not have a different type of match in him, makes me wonder just, like, is Ghetto still laying out and calling all those big matches for him? I don't know what's going on. I mean, listen, like he, I think it was his match with Kojima. I want to say last year that was different in the G one, like that I really like. So, I mean, it's not like he never can do it, but for whatever reason, so many of his big matches are just tack is just 
so much unnecessary crap. And it, it, it like, I, I'm sorry. Like, I get that there are people who love it and thinks that think they're epics or whatever, but this is an example where I think if you're, you know, if you're looking at it with a degree of detachment, I think even the most hardcore Okada fans would probably have to look at this match and say, yeah, it's too long. But also, why you know? this match? I don't know. And there's so but, much they could have cut out to to still do the stuff they wanted to do. It, you, this match, honestly, maximum, this match should have been 15 minutes. Max. Max. I mean, top tier, like, especially when they, especially because by the time these guys got to the ring, they had to have already known they were going at least a little longer than they originally anticipated. Like, I, I just, uh, this, this match costing us more time in the main event really ended the show on a really bad note for me personally as a fan. Like, not, not enough to, you know, be, oh, fuck this show, not even close, but enough where it 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 feels like i was cheated you know which yes. is not a good not a good feeling when you leave a show is to feel like you're cheated okay and that's how well let's talk about the main event um so young bucks and koto bushi golden lead against Rey mysterio Rey phoenix and bandito um so you can tell that something's up from the beginning of the entrances because so Ray's music plays, and nothing happens for a while. Then Phoenix and Bandito come out, and then Ray finally comes out after another long pause in a custom Wolverine outfit, which was pretty cool. Um, the impression I got was that they had planned on doing separate entrances and then started panicking. Was that how it came off to you? It's possible. It's also possible that they knew they were over on time dramatically and that they were they were in the back still trying to cut a bunch of stuff right before they went out of Gorilla. You know, like they were mm -hmm. basically sitting there mingling, debating what they were going to leave on the cutting room floor. Uh, that That's also very possible. That would make sense, too. Um, I'll say this. I got the feeling watching the match like they put this on last, knowing it was the match they could compress into a sprint. If they needed to, I, I, I do think that is probably true. I, I think that that is, that is probably the case. Um, what was unfortunate about this was not just that the match was rushed, but that it was patently obvious that it was rushed and not just in the obvious sense of, Oh, they've got to be off the air at 11 o'clock. Well, there were a few ways. But there in was the sense Ian Motormouth Micro Machines guy talking when he's introducing the match and the graphic. There was someone loudly getting picked up by a mic. I don't know if it was at ringside. I don't know if it was next to the announcers. I'm assuming it was someone at ringside yelling, Gotta go home! Gotta go home! And then I was also told... Um, uh, Heath Mulliken, uh, who does some commentary work and some other things around the southeast here, he he tweeted at me that uh, that uh, uh, at one point I think he said it was maybe I can't I think he said Nick Jackson was audibly saying that they've got to go that they had to go to the finish right then, um, you know. So I <laughs> I mean on the one hand, if you're going to do a sprint match, this is certainly a match where you can get away with it. I agree with that in principle. On the other hand. If you're 
if you're somebody who was sort of looking forward to this match and thinking about this match all night as, well, they're putting it in the main event spot so it can be the show stealer. Yeah. And then you get not just a rush match, but a match that is obviously rushed to the point where there's multiple production cues that explicitly let the viewer know. It's just, it's very difficult not to feel cheated. And here's the thing. The guys all worked hard. They had a very, very fun match for the time they were given. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I think they needed 25 minutes or maybe, probably not even 20. But this was a match that felt like it should have been about 16 to 18 minutes. And it felt like a good third to maybe, you know, uh, 40% of this was completely skimmed and left on the cutting room floor. Yeah. And it, it, it... had the nightmarishly long disaster of a match that preceded this not been immediately before it, I think it might have been less noticeable. Like if there had been like a buffer in between them, I think it would have been less noticeable. But coming on the heels of that just egregious waste of time that was Marty Skrull and and Okada, it is... uh, Well, here's what's strange to me, too, as far as the timing, and then we can talk more about the match itself. I don't think it's a secret that or it seems like ROH production was who was doing the production end of the show, right? I would guess that. I mean, there yes. were there were people that could be seen like bringing cases and stuff into the building wearing ROH audio shirts. I had heard it going into the weekend. If they were the ones producing the show, how did that all that get so badly screwed up? Time, <sighs> audio, camera. Like you can make jokes about certain things with ROH production, but like these are not the ways in which ROH production usually has issues. I I don't know. I mean, it's very strange. Like, I... Well, whole... also, I should add, too, Um, I didn't want to interrupt, but because I think I'll forget, because it's late. There were people who were saying their guide had the show ending at 11.30. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Like, I... I... <laughs> I'll I'll just say this. I'll say this. Um, Given what this show is and how it was marketed and branded and the importance of this show, both in the abstract and in reality. Oh, they would have ruined the whole show if the show went off the air mid-match. Correct. And I think it is – I will say it is a testament to the six men who were in the ring that they were so good with their time that they were able to get everything as much as they could in and then end it right then. Right. Like that. They do deserve credit for that because they tried to give their fans as much as they could and then went to the finish. And they got in what you would envision as the key spots in a way that still felt natural. Correct. Um, Having said that, (laughs) I, um, I, there is, I'm just going to have to be mean. I'm going to have to be mean, Dylan. I can't not be. There is no credible excuse for this to have happened on this show. Well, okay. I can think of one. Okay. Well, Do you think they just didn't – do you think specifically they didn't have anyone in the role of timing the show and they had people doing everything else? Well, let's say that they did. That's not a credible excuse. No, it's not. This is is a – 
this is a major production. It's being sold as a major production. Well, and- Your TV advertisements are calling it the biggest pay-per-view event in wrestling history. You've got you've you've it's it's a totally unprecedented thing where it it's not just the performances that are being judged. It's everything, including the professionalism. By the way, that is a key part of this: is the idea that these guys by themselves can put on this professional big league show as quote independent actors end quote. The and to <laughs> I don't want to oversell this because it's not like it was a disaster in the sense that it took a it, you, it didn't end mid match and you didn't turn a a good show into a bad show you know what I'm saying like it, that's not true it's it's not that far however however it is utterly mind blowing to me that this happened I cannot for the life of me believe. That this show, that this show had this problem. This show, you how how do you not dot your eyes and cross your t's on timing for this show? They, they, I mean, they all, I mean, listen. I know they've completely co-opted the media. Are all wholly owned subsidiaries well, of Cody Rhodes a, at this I mean, point? But but I the, do kind of want to talk to you about that before it, we finish. It's, up. it's 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 totally ludicrous. And I, I just can't, there's no excuse. And this is not about patting me on my back. This is literally me saying there's no excuse. There's no excuse for small independent shows in Tennessee to be timed out more efficiently than a show that knows it only has X amount of satellite time and has way more time to do it. You, I mean, you can't, in five hours of total time counting the pre-show, you can't get all your ducks in a row so that you don't have that happen when you know that that's going to be the case. Ah, I just, it, it blows my mind. And I mean, listen, I can already see a sort of alternative narrative of, well, they wanted to give the fans the absolute maximum amount for their buck, blah, blah, blah. I mean, if you want to believe that ridiculous. Well, if you want to, like, if that was I, what I, you I, wanted to do. Buy enough satellite time to go to eleven thirty and aim for eleven. It just, I'm just, <laughs> it. I admit that a, uh, some of it is just me being annoyed by the fact that that main event was clearly shortchanged after I had to sit through the preceding match. But it also is to me a rather stunning <laughs> turn of event. Like it is is legitimately shocking well, to me. Well, I mean, do, like when. Because the the entrances and stuff, I think it was before the graphics for the main event even started. It was already eleven forty two. Yeah, I mean, I I was I I was tweeting jokes or ten forty two, but I I, yeah, I, yeah, I was sorry. I I was tweeting you know like a, sort of jokingly. I wanted to see how long the show was going to go because about halfway through Skrull versus Okada, it occurred to me there there uh, surely this is not ending at eleven. <laughs> you know, like I. I, I it just ah uh, it well, on just on top of that in spite of everything we said earlier about MJF and his match if you were going to have issues with timing the show why did you put an unadvertised match on it's it, it's crazy um there, there's a lot of problems with it and the and the other thing is i personally feel like because of 
and uh, I this is a personal thing. This is a personal aesthetic judgment. I, I or maybe aesthetic's not the right word, but I don't know that other people would feel this way. But you know, this is me and you on the show, not other people. So uh, I, I personally think it felt more egregious that Cody Omega and the Bucks all won because of how rushed the main event was. If that had been like a 20-minute, tw- like epic, crazy, PWG-style six-man, which is clearly what they were going for, even to right down to the point of having Knox refing it, then I think it almost you almost would have forgotten that the Bucks won and that all these well, guys... Like, like I, I, I do. I really but also, do. no, I, what I was going to say is the way it went, too... I honestly think they should have called old and audible and had the finish be Ray hitting the splash. I, I, it just, uh, I listen. Um, I don't want to be too negative about this show because it was a good show. It was a bizarre show. Um, but it was a good show. I think virtually everything on the show was the only match that I didn't like was okay. Or, or didn't like at all was Okada versus girl. Everything else. I mean, Lethal versus Flip was, I didn't hate it. It was just whatever. Um, but everything other than those two matches, I thought was, it you know, quite good or good at, at what it needed to be in the case of Cody and Aldis. Uh, and some of it was even great. And it did feel like a special event. It did feel like a big event. It just, the way it ended did not... You know, and I mean, I, I I can already hear the comparisons with barely legal, and I get why people would make the comparison, but I I think the scope of what was being done here was a lot different than the scope of what was being done at barely legal, uh, and the presentation was a lot different, and I do think that makes a a qualitative difference when you're assessing these things, um, at least to me personally. I mean, barely legal was a show being done with a generator. That almost blew up outside of a warehouse. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we can say, you know, bingo hall is whatever, because that's what it was most of the week. You said arena until the makeover a few years ago it was just a warehouse, basically. Yeah. And, that, and the lasting image from that show is still funk with the title celebrating in the crowd right at the end. Right. It's not like you, you, you still got that cathartic moment at the end. We didn't get anything like that at the end of this show. It was literally just sort of Ian freaking out, trying to get the pit, the, the pitch and every, the, the plug and everything in. Which was hilarious, too, because really him shaving two seconds off of that meant nothing. No. Well, especially no. when. Did you notice how the slate for the pay-per-view distributor ended up going like 45 seconds? No, I did not. That was that was weird because it was like, with how much they rushed because Ian didn't even get to finish his sign off. No, he didn't. That he got didn't. cut off. And then the, I forget the name of the distributor was literally like 45 seconds it, it, until it <laughs> cut to the cable company. Thanks for ordering. It was uh, it was very odd. Um. It was just a it was it, the the show itself was just a whole I, I don't know I well, we should I, stress too because we didn't say it yet they literally got the finish in the seconds to go oh yeah hundred percent they came incredibly close to the like closer probably than we even said earlier to the finish getting cut off oh yeah yeah I mean it was it was um uh you know. Again, I credit those guys in the ring 
for being willing to go right to the limit because that takes balls. Um, and we should note that when when uh, that that call of they've got to go home, they've got to go home. That was probably with still five or six minutes left in the match when that went went over the live mic. That yeah. it wasn't like they went home immediately. These guys played with fire and. They are pros enough where they didn't really get burned, but it still leaves a bad taste in my mouth. It's it's just unfortunate that a historic show that was quite good, all things considered, and, and really hit some several home runs. I thought, and uh, you know, it ended that way. It, it, it you know it again. This is one of those things where I think that for a lot of fans who were just inclined to you know feel the historic moment or whatever are going to think that I'm just harping on this too much. But for what I wanted and thought we were being sort of teased with what we were going to get with that main event, it was underwhelming and it had nothing to do with the effort of the guys. Well, and we're, I think, well, part. also I think we're in a way we're being a little too negative on the match. I think outside of, I think the guy who got screwed the most was Bandito because he was the, he was the one guy in the main event who wasn't really a big star. I agree. He would. He was the guy where you wanted to see him get the breakout moment, and he did some cool stuff. But there was not enough time for him to have the breakout and moment. And for it to register, yeah. But as as a match, and it's like being like this great like high spots. And like I thought, like if 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 you just placed that match at a different spot in the card, you would say it was too short. But they still had a pretty phenomenal match for what it was. I agree with that hundred percent. But it's like it's hard to to separate it from that context. Correct. I thought they had a hell of a sprint, and the problem was it just shouldn't have been a sprint. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they they had like the the best or one of the best possible, maybe, maybe the best possible sprint you could have envisioned with those six guys. But the problem was, if you had in your head like one of these like young buck style PWG insane matches, um which I think a lot of people had in their head, uh, you know, with good cause, by the way. Like, um, I, I think there was good reason to believe that's what the plan was, even, and what they were going for. You know, it's difficult not to have felt disappointed. And and the fact that it was so obvious that they were under on time, it, or hurting up for time, is what made it so bad. But And it felt like a waste of Ibushi, in a sense, too. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's totally fair. Ray, fact, not as much, forget. just because he... He has limited time, and like him not doing as many spots in the match is something you could kind of expect. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It definitely felt more of like more of a waste of Ibushi than um, than 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 Ray, or almost than anyone in some ways, because I it, he almost is forgettable in the match. Like, yeah. other than the moment where he's in the ring with Ray, you like almost forget that he was even in it. Yeah, and um, boy, by the way, is Ray a ringing endorsement for stem cells? <laughs> I mean, seriously, he he was he was just as fast as Ibushi, just as fast as anyone in that match. He's like, you know, again, I'm not picking on the VOW guys. It's just that I happened to listen to their preview. Um, they were kind of, I don't want to say bragging on him because that's not fair, but they were like, oh, he's lost a step. And I, to be fair, I didn't see his last New Japan performance, so I can't speak to that. But uh, I got to tell you, when I've seen him this year, I thought he's I thought he's looked pretty darn sharp. So he, he's still hanging in there pretty good. Um, I mean, he's clearly not giving his absolute best performances in the Northeast Wrestling stuff because he clearly gives Northeast Wrestling a heavy discount on his usual, you know, 
five-figure rate. Sure. But otherwise, I mean, he looks fantastic. And it was just unfortunate to just have this all shortchanged. I mean, I don't think there's more we can really say about that at this point. I mean, we just keep kind of, I don't want to say beating a dead horse, but I mean, we've been on that over and over. Um, well, well, Bix, let's let's quit beating that horse because we've already gone way well longer than uh, we, and you we've already. You'd have we, no steam. We've we've already pulled it all in and gone way over, but I I do want to give some sort of synopsis thoughts, and I have actually a, a couple of takes. Well, of, of there's something I want to address so. real quick, though. Sure, sure. Go ahead. You you mentioned the media stuff. I do think we need to mention. Um. I don't know if any of the reporters who did panels or meet and greets or both at StarCast got paid for it beyond having their travel covered. Um, If they did, I think now that it became clear the week of the show that A, there was another promotion that they cover involved and that... I don't know what exactly clearly. Jeff Jarrett and Global Force had some sort of role in putting together StarCast. That wasn't really obvious until this week. I think you agree would agree with that. Uh, correct. Um, and also, I mean, I kind of knew it was coming, but it didn't really click for me until seeing it that the weigh-ins and they, the last press conference were going to be at um, Starcast. Between that, and then also that all the other media that showed up ended up getting their media obligations taken away at the last second, and them not doing the promised. Um, post-match New Japan-style press conferences, which, I mean, that was hearing that that was going to be the main media obligation was the only reason, I mean, excuse me, was the main reason I didn't pitch anyone trying to uh, expense my travel for this because I knew, like, you know, Deadspin or anyone I write for isn't going to care about that. All of that put together, um, I feel very uncomfortable about the general effect and interaction effect on an interaction with the wrestling media landscape that this weekend had yeah there's a lot to be i mean that's almost a separate podcast to me and is, it's probably one we should do to be honest is and maybe we can explore that sooner rather than later because i do think there is a lot to talk about in terms of how the media related to this show and what that means um you know, I I don't really have a problem with podcasts or media outlets or even sites that sort of dabble in reporting to a mild degree like PW Pondering, for example, sponsoring a show. Or, you know, where I think it gets tricky is when you get into sites that are explicitly news sites and reporting sites. Now, and I'm not saying, you know, that the only function of the figure four or, or – uh, uh, or the torch or whatever, that their only function is that because they're clearly, that's not their only function, but it, it is a tough one. Uh, you know, what makes Dave Meltzer different than Sam Roberts at this point, other than what coast of the United States they live on? Um, I mean, I, I, sure, one does actual reporting and is, knows probably as much or more about wrestling than anybody. So, I mean, there's certain obvious differences. But I'm talking about in terms of the relationship to a sort of 
for lack of a better term, parental authority company. Like, like it, it, it's, it's an issue and people can poo poo it and say it's just wrestling or whatever, but I don't think that's a serious dismissal. Um, it's if you're the type of person that would even be listening to this podcast or tweeting about wrestling or whatever, the it's just wrestling talking point um, doesn't really work unless you just hate yourself, I guess. Uh, it, it, you know, you obviously treat it seriously enough to devote hours of your life to listening to two inane weirdos like me and Bix talk about this show. So the the idea that you know. Oh, it's just wrestling, blah, blah, blah. We shouldn't – nah, I, I don't I – And don't by the that. way, the, how long this went I, – I just want to point out this is your fault since you've been doing most of the talking and you were the one who wanted to but, talk <laughs> at a certain point, which I agreed with. But uh, yeah, I just I, – I don't there's – a, there's a longer discussion to be had there. Maybe we can have it soon because um, I need to absorb and think more about how I feel about some of this stuff as it relates to Stark past and other things too, because uh, there, there are certain elements of it that I really like and I don't begrudge anybody. I mean, at the SCI, we've done stuff like podcast panels before and things like that. But again, it's a little bit different. Yeah. Well, also, it, like, I mean, it, I've never, I mean, me and Chris did a podcast last year that a few people attended, but I mean, that was just a thing we did and one paid us for. Sure. Sure. And I, and, by the way, I wouldn't necessarily have an issue if somebody did pay you for it. Um, but it definitely changes the relationship some once the right. money is there. Well, if and, I'll say this, though, too. Um, we Again, we don't know exactly what Jeff Jarrett's involvement with StarCast officially is. Um, you know, like I said, until that video, um, it was, I think, the Cody... Team, uh, Nightmare Family videos, I forget what he was calling the series, that they did a thing about StarCast in the last one, and Conrad's getting there to set up the venue, and not really talking, but there with him every step carrying a backpack as Jeff Jarrett. And then, like, you'd be, like, if you'd be confused looking at the Global Force Twitter this weekend, too, because it was basically all fight and StarCast stuff, and I, I mean, I could look again, probably some all-in stuff, too. So, if Conor, whatever the involvement was, putting up money, I don't know. Um, if Conrad didn't tell uh, Dave, Brian, Wade, Bruce, and Ryan about that in advance, that's bad. No, I, 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 would, I would say that's probably fair to say. But, I mean, but, to guess that that's probably the situation, you mean? Uh, well, no, or to say that it would be bad if he had not given them the Yiggy. Yeah, I think that's fair. And but, I don't know if he did or didn't. I don't either, and I'm not going to speculate. And, to be, and, to, and we also don't know if they were paid or not, although, I, look, I don't consider Front Row Brian a reliable source, but he's also clearly someone who talks to Dave Meltzer a lot. And he was basically outright saying that they all got paid. Yeah, yeah, he did tweet that, didn't he? Or something along and those lines. And he was tweeting, talking about it as a positive thing, too. Because he was yes. basically he, he's a guy who will be facetious sometimes, and because he was basically parroting the Dana White line about how the media should be promoting us, I I I can consider that he may have not entirely been serious. It can be hard to tell with him sometimes. Like I don't want to get all political, but there are times where I'm genuinely not sure if his Trump stuff is trolling or 
trolling or serious. But regardless, he, he's clearly someone who Dave takes somewhat seriously. So for him to tweet that, uh, it certainly made me think more strongly that they were getting paid. That could be. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to speculate on. No, on that. no, no. But I just point won't is, do it. Because... Right. Which is, again, we didn't want to vote too much. It just, I feel uneasy. That's all I sure. feel like I can say right now. And again, also that it's like all the other media that showed up suddenly. Oh, except for the ones that paid Conrad hundreds of dollars, got suddenly shut out for media opportunities. Yeah, I mean. Media opportunities that I don't know exactly what Cody and other people said to whoever. Cody told me that was what they were doing months ago, the New Japan Saw press conferences. So, especially since that's not really a time thing, because those aren't on the air, unless you think they were planning to do them on the air and that's why they cut those? I can't imagine that. I, ca- I, I mean, that would take up too much time. Yeah, I mean, those are never really shown live anywhere. I mean, that would be a level of being off on time that would be uh, beyond belief bad. <laughs> but regardless, it's like when you consider everything, like the some guys being part of StarCast and then now also StarCast feeling more connected both to All In after it took place than it did kind of before, the, whatever Global Force connection there is, Conrad charging people to do the podcast row thing and get interviews with people. Um, and what was it? It was something ridiculous, like $600 for like a few hours, right? It was like, it was ridiculously I, I no expensive. Idea. I, I saw no the idea. contract that he sent. I can find it again. Someone sent it to me. Um, then also that all of a sudden, like, other than, I'm not, like, aside from some like big name media, like serious, like, and people who had done phoners in advance, the only media opportunity anyone got that wasn't part of StarCast, was at that big press conference that fans were also at. And you put that all together, and I feel more uncomfortable about it now than I did going in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't... I, this is... I don't want to comment on this at length, because I li- this is literally like a two-hour conference. It could topic. take hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And also, and again, that we don't... There are probably details we're going to learn that we don't know yet. Correct. Correct. And, but it's Which like, is... and again, I want to, to be clear, I'm saying like, it's the totality of these multiple things. Sure. Make, I feel like make it a much more uncomfortable picture than it would be otherwise. Okay. So the show though, um, I feel like narrative wise, it's impossible to separate the in-ring from the production in terms of watching it on pay-per-view. If you were there live, other than the main event being rushed, not really. Um, but watching it on a pay-per-view, it feels like everything with the production from the audio to the camera work to the time management brought the show down several notches from what it would be based just on the in-ring performances. I probably slightly more lenient than you on that. Um, it hurt the pre-show for me. It didn't hurt the main show for me very much. Uh, there, the, the pre-show I think suffered pretty substantially uh although not to the degree that i wasn't able to enjoy the matches but it just it it, as an overall presentation i thought it was pretty bush league um the main show i felt much less you know i mean there were certainly hiccups and things that that didn't quite work but oh we didn't mention them um having to adjust the lighting behind the announcers during the show because they didn't realize that the stage lighting would make it that you could barely see them 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there were a few things like that. Like, I, I think they pitched to an interview that was supposed to be somebody and it was somebody else. Like, there, there, were, there were a few things like that on the main show as well. But I thought, um, to me, I would say that the, the sort of organization of the card was a bigger issue for me on the main show than the production. Uh, you know, obviously, and of course the, the, just everything being too long for the most part, other than the main event. And, you know, there were some matches like Janelle and page where I don't think it really, it, it, you could have cut it, but I don't think it was worse for being long, but the, the, uh, listen to me, it was a clear thumbs up show. I would give it a thumbs up show I said with, that earlier. with no qualification, actually. Um, to me, this isn't even like a thumbs up show. That's like barely thumbs up. I like, if I was, you know, if I'm giving this show a grade, if we're, if we're, let, let's think about it in terms of a grade. So if I'm thinking about this in terms of a letter grade, uh, I'd probably give it a B or a B plus depending on, uh, my mood. I would agree. You know? I would say B minus is too low. I'd say it has to be higher than that. Yeah, I, I, I would lean towards saying, uh, we'll just, I'll, I'll make the decision and I'll say, I'll give it a B plus. Um, I, you know, it, it, and that's, that's with me sort of uh, giving the benefit of the doubt for uh, some smaller offenses. <laughs> uh, I don't think it was a blow away great show. I don't think there was a single match of the year, which is fascinating. I think that I think it's fascinating that there was not really a true match of the year contender on this show because I think there was a certain segment of fans that in their head I think uh, at least and I think this is one of the reasons why there were some criticisms about the card coming in I think they had envisioned this as a show that would be filled with match of the year contenders right and it ended up being where I'm not sure there was a single one on it uh, so that's that's sort of an interesting wrinkle but to me the two big stories. Um, and I said I, earlier today, I, I said I'd tweet about I, – I said I'd talk about this on the PWP newscast, but I'll go ahead and talk about it here, and I'll talk about it again there, maybe at more length as I think about it more over the course of the next day and a half. Mm-hmm. But I – to me, the biggest two takeaways take are actually related to the WWE, and this isn't a case of me unfairly comparing something to WWE. Are you always got to bring up WWE? Well, listen, they brought up WWE all night, so I don't want to hear that complaint. Um, if, if, you know, if they can't keep the WWE out of their mouth and out of the, the stuff they're doing it, you know, uh, you, you can't, you can't, um, pretend that this show wasn't branded to a large degree as a sort of, I don't, anti WWE might be too strong, but opposition, a, a, a opposition, a, a alternative, a direct alternative to, and you know, there's, there's a couple of big takeaways I have in, in relation to that. Takeaway number one is. Somebody, I believe it was our friend Charles from Pro Wrestling Only, made the point years ago that part of what makes the the discussion of star ratings and what's a great match so difficult to have or so, so weird, particularly when you're arguing with sort of Dave Meltzer uh, fans or Dave Meltzer himself is that the entire idea of what it is to be a great match was kind of created by Dave Meltzer. The entire framework for which we understand the discourse of great matches is a, a Dave Meltzer, if not created, certainly popularized phenomenon. 
I think we see something similar here. I think the entire framework for which we understand how to put on a, quote, big show or an exciting show or a big league show is totally predicated and built around the, the WWE. And I think we saw that here. For all the talk about this being the alternative to a WWE show, this show existed almost entirely within the framework of a WWE uh, of like WWE concepts and the like. The WWE paradigm of how to do a big show was what All In did. Now, granted, they did it in their own way, with their own spin, with the the as I said, filtered through the prism of the YouTube meme culture, and they and it was different in that respect for sure, but. This was still very much, this was not a departure from the norm of a WWE presentation. It really was not. It was very, very much in keeping with that. And it continues to speak to something else our friend Charles has talked about over the years, which is the global homogenization of pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. the, the other point that I would make, which is also related to the WWE thing, uh, and by the way, that last point is not a criticism, it's just an observation. Um, and, and I think it's a, it, it, but this other point I actually think well, is the a biggest big, star on the show is someone who was trained by WWE, a hundred percent. And I, I think, and whose match was laid out very much like a WWE match, you know. Uh, but I observationally, with multiple callbacks to WWE matches, <laughs> but uh, observationally, um, the other big thing I wanted to point out was, you know, I, years ago there was a intra-anarchist dispute where you had the sort of class-oriented anarchist who sort of, uh, you know, uh, were taking issue with the Crime Think Ex-Workers Collective, which was a group, and I believe they still exist, primarily out of North Carolina at the time, who wrote books basically about dropping out of mainstream culture and living off the excess of capitalism any way that they could. A very controversial book, Evasion, was their second book, which which was a book that was specifically critiqued by a group of anarcho-syndicalists at the time. And I promise this is all relevant because I'm making a point here. And their big critique was... By the way, that, if you complain after we're done about this being too long, I'm not trying to do it anymore. <laughs> their, their, their big critique was... Um, uh, well, I've gotten like a fourth win now, Vic, so we're good. But their 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 big critique was that even if some of the tactics and things that were discussed in in this controversial book were understandable or uh, legitimate expressions of resistance against the sort of dominant orthodoxies and norms. Oh God, of the I day, know where you're going with this. All in it, is the Democratic Party. The indie <laughs> wrestling is the DSA. Kind of, kind of, but maybe not quite in the way you think. Okay. It, even if all that is true, you, it is impossible to even understand. Like, you could not have those modes of resistance without having the the uh, capitalist society, and you cannot have all in without the WWE. It was readily apparent today. It was apparent in the entire build to it. It is their entire, the entire existence of this project is predicated on the existence of the other, to the, the, the thing to sort of live off of by mockery, by parody, by, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that's illegitimate. I don't think that that may, may, makes All In a lesser than show or an immaterial show. But I do think there's always a risk in 
and having what you are be so thoroughly defined by by what you are in opposition to and yet still are dependent on by virtue of the fact that your definition is is directly related to that opposition. And going forward, if they continue to do this stuff, it will be very interesting to me to see if they can go beyond just the idea of being this this uh, nexus for like you know, non WWE or like explicit anti again is such a complicated word. Well, but I'll use it. I, I mean, I, I think I know where you're going with this. Is the next show going to be as explicitly for disenfranchised WWE fans? Yes. Is it going? Is it going to be about? rebelling against the WWE and showing that there's this alternative fan base that's fed up with the WWE that wants to make a stand. I mean, I know people who went to the show almost entirely because they wanted to prove or be part of something that was big, that was outside of the WWE. And my, my, my question is, A, can that sustain? And B, should it sustain? Do we need to see sort of a, 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 a positive um framework uh not that i'm th- accusing them of being negative but but do, do we need the, I, I, it's what is going to be the all-in platform that extends beyond just uh we're not those people or we're mocking those people or we're going to parody those people i mean they or did we, what four or five matches that all had explicit wwe references there was a lot of it a lot of the build for the show was I like mean, that some of them didn't even make sense i mean we didn't mention it, this earlier the it, hurricane it, it, can't do his chokeslam spot as a comedy spot on an indie show where he's actually tall. Yeah, it's it 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 again. This isn't really even a critique, or at least not a fatalist critique. It's not like I'm saying the show was bad because X. I don't believe the show was bad. I'm not saying the show is doomed because X. I don't think it's doomed. I think they could do this again with great success. My question is: Are we going to see a vision of what they want to do? that exist independent of the WWE framework where, because I don't know how long you can exist solely as other than, you know, it's one thing to have like a dialectic relationship or like this bipolar relationship. Like it's the cold war where you got one Soviet union and one U S which I think in some ways is what's happening now with these two uh, enterprises. But it's, 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 it's another thing to have one show that feels like it is somewhat dependent on the sort of on the sort of rotten fruit feeling that the other show has. I don't know if that can sustain itself, and it's going it's going to be interesting to see. I, some people may think that that's a misreading. I don't think it is, uh, at least not for this first show. But it'll be interesting to see if they've laid the groundwork for something that can be different instead of something that that is sort of a a, uh, a living off the excess of. Yeah, well, because also it's like, in a sense, it's like ten thousand was the benchmark because WWE can do ten thousand as opposed to ten thousand being what would be an accomplishment. C- correct. I mean, there's a lot of arbitrary stuff there. You know, it, it's it's funny to think about this, but if uh, if Matt Farmer uh, d- doesn't start sending in stuff to Dave Meltzer about his ten thousand. People metric uh, for Hall of Fame discussion purposes, uh, in terms of talking about attendance figures, uh, this match may, ne- this show may never happen, <laughs> like because uh, that number didn't even used to be something Dave talked about all that much until Matt started doing his research. So it's a it, it's a weird. The whole thing is very meta and and strange. But um, in any event, it was a good show. 
and I did very much enjoy it. I think it's a it's a very thought provoking show. I think there's a lot of interesting things uh, that can be talked about. We've gone on uh, as long as we have in part because there are so much interesting things, and really we've probably barely scratched the surface. There's all sorts of angles that you could attack this thing from. Is attack the operative word there? <laughs> sure. Yes, but again, you said 90 minutes. This is definitely a lot more than that. Um, we're bordering on double. Um, this is definitely your fault. I will send you a screenshot of what this looks like in Audacity to show just how much of your fault this is. <laughs> I'm long-winded. Hint, the vast majority is going to be on the right channel. But, I mean, do I have anything else? I mean, because you've... I mean, and we're basically in agreement on much of this. Um... I just I think the the lasting impression being them rushing off the air just leaves a weird taste in my mouth. That's yeah. I I I don't want to leave this on a negative note. No. Um. So I will I will close my chapter and tell people that you know you can follow me at Dylan Waco on Twitter if you want D Y L A N W A C O. Uh. And then just to say that uh, I thought it was a good show, a good show with some hiccups and some that were substantial. But a good show that that both was historic and felt historic, and sometimes those two things don't happen at the same time. And I think for that for that reason alone, it, it deserves to be talked about much more fondly than negatively. Yes, and I think we should also say just to, I mean, it wasn't on our mind with so much to talk about the show, but being that this is still an indie rest conversation, um, we would like to give our best to uh, the family of Nate Hatred who. I don't know if any details have come out yet, but passed away, I, don't, I guess, today. I don't know if it was yesterday and it came out today, but um, I, I haven't heard any details yet. Have you? I just kind of wanted no, to get that no, out there. No, I haven't. But, yeah, definitely peace to Nate Hatred and his family. He was uh, you know, a big part of independent wrestling in uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania for years and years and years and years and years. And, uh, you know, uh, one of – one of the most legit and scary looking dudes in the business. Like, uh, and you know, a, a guy that, uh, one of those guys from that era that probably isn't appreciated as, as much, uh, for being one of those guys that built up the infrastructure for indie wrestling, uh, at a critical time. And still had a great match as recently as less than a year ago. Yeah. It gets, uh, him and, uh, him Nick, and Nick against, against the, hit squad. the hit squad. Yeah, yeah. Really good match. Which I was there for and was nuts. So, yeah, peace to him. Rest in peace, Nate Hatred, and you bring it home, I guess, since you're better at that than me. Well, we're going to wrap it up, folks. This has been a special, glorious, lovely, princely, saintly. I'm going to keep talking, keep that side of the audacity file as big and as bold as possible for my comrade Bix, but it's been it's a great, great show. It's been lengthy. God, it's been, it's been it's been a great show. Thank you everybody for listening. This was impromptu. It was wild. It was late at night. It was hyper. It was up and it's down. But I really do appreciate everybody for giving us a listen here. I appreciate my buddy Bix for joining me at this late hour for this two and a half, three hour romp, whatever the hell it's been. Uh, and uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll be back sooner, s- soon again with a with another sort of specialty show. Maybe we won't. Maybe I'll show up on Between the Sheets eventually. Maybe I won't. But regardless, this is Dylan Hales signing off, and I'm going to say so long from the volunteer state of Tennessee. <laughs>